0: So You Want To Be An Artist is now on YouTube as a video series too. So if anyone prefers watching their podcasts and conversations, then head over to YouTube, the So You Want To Be An Artist YouTube channel. And this episode is now live on there too.
1: Let's go back to what is art. Art is the moment when you say, fuck it. That's actually my answer to your first question, you know, because that is the moment at which you say, I don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks about what I'm doing. I don't give a fuck about whether or not I make any money. I am driven to do this. There is nothing I can do to stop it now. It must be done. Fuck it. (laughs) Step back and was
0: like, what do I actually want to do with my life? That
1: old question. Yeah.
0: Oh well, music's the thing that resonates with me mostly. I want to learn how to speak the language that's been like speaking to me my whole life. Yeah. Um, So I was like, all right, cool. Let me relocate to my best mate's shed in the back of his garden and do acid and mushrooms. every weekend for (laughs) for a year and figure out who the fuck I am and what it is I'm here for. Cheers to that. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And then it was just like. I released my first song got that over and done with and then kind of being like well I've learned so much on this process and there's still so much I want to learn let me start a podcast let me start bringing some authenticity back so I can kind of create a lane for myself also yeah, as yeah, well yeah yeah you know, I felt like maybe I wouldn't be received yeah as openly as I would be if I created that space myself yeah so hey. the podcast was kind of just like trying to bring people into a self-reflective space. Um and yeah, cuz I felt like that was what my music was going to be about. That's what yeah. my artistic output was going to be about. Yeah. Um so yeah, that was it and then it's just slowly working my way back into it while also living in London. Yeah. Being with my girlfriend, building yeah. a home, yeah. like working towards all of my stuff, so taking on those responsibilities. Yeah. And while also juggling like the dream, I guess. That dream, um, but I'm the host of this podcast, not the subject. So yeah. we will talk about you now. Fabulous! <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give us a little sink clap. <sighs> and thank you for joining me. That's thank all you for right? coming all this way in Birkenstocks on a rainy <laughs> Monday night.
1: Anyone who knows me knows that Birkenstocks in the rain or snow is is a fully legitimate and regular occurrence for me so i'm not gonna
0: argue with that you sound like a seasoned professional
1: i am i just don't like having my toes restricted
0: and there's nothing wrong with that but pruny and wet and wrinkly yeah
1: pruny, wet and wrinkly but again like a, you know i'm i'm a diehard driver which is terrible and very on un- i'm environmental but you know you don't prune when you're driving fair so enough fair enough what can i say
0: and wet socks and wet shoes are not the ones. exactly as i've I'm finding out right now. Do
1: you know, Birkenstock dries very
0: quickly. Interesting. That's very that's a, thing to know. That's a solid USP.
1: <laughs> literally. That really is. I think they should give me an ad. A lot of people have said to me you should do an ad because I'm literally like the biggest diehard fan. Come rain, shine, snow... I am in with my toes out in a pair of Burkies, so... Absolute savage. Always the same style as well. I'm literally, I'm a savage
2: for it, so...
0: <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. I'm a huge admirer of your work, of all of your work, and the way that it's progressed as well from early photos and just, like, real authentic photo shoots to even you've remained integral, even through to your corporate, yeah. still artistic expression, even though it's for big brands yeah. or it features big faces or regardless of what you do there's a real spirit to it there's a real energy and there's a real authenticity so I'm grateful for that and also grateful for you to just come in and have a conversation with me and uh, hopefully one that is beneficial to both of us always and whoever is on the other side of these lenses and these microphones
1: (laughs) do you know I, I say to people whenever I'm asked to do something that involves me talking that I love the sound of my own voice, Yeah, which I suppose is partly true. But I just love people and I love conversations and that's why I do what I do anyway.
0: So there's nothing better than being invited for a
1: little chin wag. So Amazing. Yeah, thank you for it's having me. It's the best me. place to
0: start. <laughs> I, I start every podcast with the same question mm-hmm. and I'll pose it to you like I posed to everyone who sat in that chair before. What is art?
1: Oh God, it's a big question, isn't it? What is art? Art is, um, it's expression. And I think for me, something that is definitely maybe getting lost a bit nowadays is integrity. And that is something that I think it's really hard to keep hold of. It's interesting what you just said about kind of when you move to bigger faces or more corporate jobs or, you know, when you're trying to... toe the line of art and commerce which is something we all have to do otherwise you can't eat and you can't pay your rent um for me like the true artists out there are the ones who retain their integrity no matter what the paycheck is at the end of the brief you know and I know for sure it's not easy but for me that's what I think makes me an artist even though I hate that word you hit the word artist. I fi- in general, no. The word artist is an amazing, like, wonderful. But word. But when applied, when you apply when it to yourself, when applied to me, really terrifying. It becomes a very big
0: word when you apply it to yourself. What 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 is attached to it?
1: Um, I think when people think about an artist, they've got you know, there's kind of connotations of like, you know, like wild studios and painting and aprons and you know, and and actually, I suppose if you come to my house and sort of see how I work when I especially do my kind of personal projects, there is actually an element of like the 2019 version of that. You Mm. know, it's not paints that I work with, but I engrave into glass and I'll wear safety goggles. So, you know, I suppose I am falling into those things. But artist is such a big word, you know. If you're an artist, it's like you're saying you're Picasso. Mm. And when, you know, art, just like any other... Career, can you call it a career? Yeah, it's a career.
0: Yeah, I guess. Genre? I don't really. (laughs) What would
1: you call it? Vocation? Vocation. Nice. Yeah. Just like anything else, you know, there's people on all different rungs of that ladder. Hmm. But for some reason, the word artist, it it almost sounds like an arrogant word, Hmm. you know, to apply it to yourself. And that makes me feel really uncomfortable.
0: I do feel like there's a little bit of. Uh, there's a an assumed pretension about it but when we think yeah. about artists when we think about art uh, in, in today's world we do think about big numbers yeah and we think about notoriety and yeah. we think about uh capitalism really we do yeah because you think of a banksy or whatever you think of say, yeah. you think of 50 million you yeah. think of picasso you think of 100 million you yeah. know what i mean but uh, away from that in reality, an art isn't necessarily something that you desire to be because it comes with so much yeah. sacrifice, so much stress, yeah. so much uncertainty. So it's not, it almost puts a target on your back and not necessarily from a judgmental point of view, but from like a survival point of view. It's yeah. You expose yourself and you make yourself vulnerable. Yeah. So I do understand the uh, the hesitance uh, in, in a how will I be received way? How will people judge me way? But I also understand that there is a spiritual weight to to the role of an artist. And do you feel like it comes with an added responsibility instead of just the judgment?
1: Oh, for sure. You know, like there's that part of it that's like, you know, like you said, what other people will think. But there's also a massive part of it that's like, have I earned that title yet? Hmm. And that, you know, we we talk about art and the struggle, which is something that we should probably return to because I think that's such a... It's been so drummed into our heads that sometimes we can't think of anything else. And I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. But um, But yeah, it's like, you know, have I earned my stripes yet? Mm. You know, am I allowed to say that? And I think if you are a true creative... Well, maybe this isn't true for all creatives, but certainly for me, I feel that by the time I've maybe received some accolades for a project or by the time something's been published or has come out for the world to see, I'm like two projects ahead of myself. Okay, I'm already stressed about the next thing. I'm already wondering if I'm being an artist in the next situation. So there's this kind of disconnect between the moment when people are kind of telling you you're brilliant and you being spiritually right there in the middle of a project, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I always find really hard to bring back together again is kind of like the, even if you win an award or something, you know, like often it's so, it's a project that I've kind of almost put to bed, you know, because I think also as an artist, it's that thing where, Nothing is ever finished. There's always something else you could do to it. And there comes a point where you have to stop and walk away. And And to all intents and purposes, it is finished because you're not going to work on it anymore. But people are complimenting you on something that probably for the rest of your life, you'll be going, if only I had another week, yeah. I would have X, Y, and Z, you know? So... I don't really know where I've gone with this question. I've uh, uh, taken it somewhere else. I don't
0: know. We found ourselves in, in great <laughs> waters, though. I feel <laughs> like um, I feel the the for the reasons that we just dis- discussed, and there's also like a, a personal thing of like, do I? There's the judgmental thing of like, do I really want people to put me under the scrutiny, the same scrutiny that they put other great people under. Yeah. And do I also want to make myself vulnerable to the tribulations and sacrifice and suffering that comes inherent to the life of an individual, yeah. which I guess all all artists subscribe to. Yeah. The weighing up of that decision of will I call myself that takes so long that by the time you're willing to name yourself and come out and go, I am an artist, Yeah. you know, regardless of whether you've even made anything, just to get to that point of being able to own the label or yeah. own the re- the role yeah. and all of its responsibility, it's like you don't even have to have made anything at that point. Yeah. Just to have the belief in yourself to stand up and say, I'm going to do something. Yeah. I'm making a decision. Yeah. I'm taking control over my life. That's like, all right, you're there. Now just make some shit.
1: Yeah, do you know, see, I think it's really interesting that you say that because... Excuse me. I feel like, I feel like in many ways, my, my whole life, but specifically my kind of artistic journey, I feel a little bit like somebody dropped something at one point of a river. And I've been swept away by that. And that's kind of, you know, a, a lot of my progress and a lot of my career has been like very much organic and unintentional, you know, like, things started coming and then other things come because of that and you know someone speaks to someone and your name gets around and you know I feel like almost sometimes I describe it with my therapist sometimes I say I feel like the the train is gone and I'm there on the platform like ah I didn't even know what ticket I'd bought you know (laughs) and I'm like trying to run after the train like I know I'm gonna be on that but what am I doing so I think actually I really wish that I could kind of have that self-confidence. I think, you know, I'm I'm thinking specifically of a good friend of mine who's right at the start of her artistic journey, if you want to call it that, but she will very straight out there, she tells you that she's an artist and she's a painter. And I have so much respect for that mm. because I wish that I could say that. And the reason I can't is because when I say it, I want to say I'm an her. Uh, You're a what? An uh, auntie? Uh, uh, Congratulations. Uh,
0: uh, uh, you know, like,
1: and I don't feel that strength of conviction to, to say I'm an artist, you mm. know. And I think probably there's a part of that that comes with a certain humility, humility, that I really want to retain in everything I do. I think, you know, and there's ways and ways of saying things, but to me, like me sort of declaring, hello, I'm an artist, you know, especially when... Actually, you can call me different things. You can call me a photographer. You can call me a director, but even I don't see myself as that, and I never have. You know, the reality is that I never have, even when I was.
0: Even though you have a degree in fine arts, don't you?
1: <laughs> uh yeah, I've got a degree in fashion so you are, photography. Yeah, like
0: got a first, like an actual. Yeah. Uh, declared artist. Yeah, and
1: I've, I've got... you know, like, this is the bit that really gets me, right? I've got six pictures in the permanent collection at the National Portrait Gallery.
0: An- incredible. I think
1: five of which are on show, I think, at the moment. I've got to check those dates. But they're up in October in some point, and they'll be up until next February. But still, I, I don't feel that I've kind of earned my stripes to say that and I don't think that's actually anything to do with the work Mm. which I think brings me back to kind of what you were asking me that's all to do with me and my feelings about myself and that's why I say there's you know there's an element of me envying people who can like you said just come out and say it even if they haven't made a single fucking thing yet because how freeing is that Yep. You know, mm-hmm. and I would love to feel that freedom, you know. I think actually there's uh, there's a lot of things that have sort of held me back from you know kind of I suppose like mixed media and kind of I always knew that the photograph was never the end point for me. I think it's partly why I'm analog and partly why I wanted to involve other people and other processes and then in turn sort of led to directing. But um you know, there's a there is a part of me that that does want to have that studio with canvases and and an apron and hmm. paints all over my face. But I it's almost like I don't feel I'm allowed to go and be that person. Why I don't know. We'd have to spend
0: several hours well, I picking mean, it apart,
1: I think. Let's but... go for it. I think Ozone <laughs> Coffee
0: stays open till later than... <laughs> I don't know how late this day opened, but... I'm trying to make my episode longer than Merkage Dave, so... (laughs) Good fucking luck. I had to trim that down. It was two hours, 30 minutes. Yeah, literally. Um, But it is interesting. I'm not necessarily saying that just because you get up in a room full of people, you know, it's the ability to admit it to yourself first and foremost. Yeah. To not run from it, to not hide from it, to not suppress it. Yeah. And it is interesting that you feel that way about yourself, like you haven't earned that. And also the way that you're you express yourself, your medium is to observe. Yeah. Is to observe, let's say, for example, obviously you, you don't work limited to other artists. Yeah. You, f- you photograph anyone you find interesting. Yeah. And you make films about anyone you find interesting. But you like to observe artists. You yeah. like to give them space to uh, just be. And yeah. you like to capture that and you like to immortalize that. You like to stop time on them. Yeah. And everyone look at them. And... I wonder if there, are if, well, I don't, where am I going? It's... I don't know, but you sound frighteningly like my therapist, so...
1: <laughs> Have you got a side hustle in psychoanalytics? No, but you know
0: what? <laughs> I need to pay for I'm going to get an
2: invoice at the all end of, all of this, lamps. aren't
0: I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got about eight lamps running in Amazing. here. And I want to get some nice DSLRs to shoot this on instead of nice. these Canon Handycams. So yes. maybe I could take that up. <laughs> It's just interesting that that's how you subtly express yourself, you know, in these observations of other people who I'm guessing you admire for one reason yeah. or another.
1: Or I think... I'm trying to think how to phrase this without getting myself into into muddy waters. Um, you know, yeah, admire is one word, but I suppose I don't have to admire everyone that I photograph. But I think what you're saying is which I've never actually thought of before but putting my own psychoanalytic hat on here like in a way that's me photographing myself you could you could Okay sort Richard Avedon express that
0: That was his, that was, that was his spiel <laughs> wasn't it like these... I mean
1: I'm going to take the comparison and I'm going to run with it um he's actually one of my favorite photographers so it's interesting that you said that um Especially that in the American West series, which was such a major influence to me when I sort of discovered that.
0: Whereas well, his his thing was like, you know, that all of my photos are pictures of me.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't think you can get away from that. Hmm. And I think that's what's interesting about um, about this conversation that we have about kind of diversity. And the thing that I think sometimes gets lost, especially in fashion photography, because maybe that's quite an easy example for me to focus on here. There was, especially when I came up, so I finished university in early the early noughties. Was it the early noughties? No, hold on, that would be 20 years ago.
0: I don't know. Some sometime. About it's all the past.
1: About 18. No, hold on. I don't even know how old I am. <laughs> At some point I finished university. <laughs> um and There was so much discussion about kind of representation of the models, for example, that Mm. we were seeing. You know, everyone was a skinny white woman. And we've done so much to change representations of who is in front of the lens. But still what's missing, and I think I find this more prominent now I've moved into directing, um, is who is around you on the set. And it's not just the photographer's eyes, Which are crucial because my eyes come, that my eyes are in my body. My body has been put through a certain set of cultural experiences. The references I draw from, the way I compose an image, what I think is the most important thing to look at, that is all determined by my upbringing. My race, my class, my place in society, how I feel about me and how I feel about others. Mm. And so when there's this kind of argument that people have, you know, like, oh, it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, if they're black or they're white or they're, you know, well, it does matter. And it matters because you're bringing a whole new set of, of eyes And a new way of seeing, a way of seeing that comes from a different cultural background, that comes from a different social background, that will find a different part of the same image, the most important. Hmm. And I think in directing, what is so interesting to me is how difficult it still is to have like a representative crew around you. And when you get into that realm, I mean, photography for me is more of like a, it's not a one man show, but it's me and one or two assistants, normally people who I like really trust, um, who make themselves very invisible so that I can get the sort of intimate space that I need with my sitter. But directing, you can't help but have a a massive crew around you. And so if you think about the kind of talent that you're shooting you have to wonder if you're creating an inclusive space for them to come and sync their lyrics or, you know, be semi-naked or whatever Mm. it is you're asking someone to do. (coughs) And I think while...
0: Just to be themselves, essentially, as comfortably as possible.
1: Exactly. And I think whilst production companies and whilst producers and whilst the industry as a whole is still so predominantly straight, white and male. And I'm not saying that they aren't making moves to change that because mm. they are and there's lots of examples of that. But um, more so than just the directors, everyone else on that set is is important to kind of what space you're creating. And I think that's been a bit of a frustration for me in the last year and a half is that it seems like, seems like really hard work for a lot of people just to make sure that you know, we've we've got a representative space around us, you know. Like I always say, I wanna see what I see at the bus stop in the morning on set. Yeah. And when I look at the bus stop in the morning, it's not all blokes, white blokes, you know, like it's a myriad of different people. And for that reason, I will push and pioneer, you know pioneer. It's a bit of a big word. I will push. <laughs> I will push. You know, to have ideas that are based around not necessarily the idea itself, what's in front of the lens, Mm. but let's see what happens if we have an all-female crew. Everyone, from the cab driver to the runner to the, you know, DOP to the producer. No one with a penis is allowed on set. What happens, Mm. you know? And I'm not doing that to say... Men have no worth. Well, have of course you done? They that? Do. I've been trying to do that, so, and I probably shouldn't have said it because actually someone else will steal that idea now. I tell you what's my difficult. My girlfriend,
0: my girlfriend's making a film at the moment about Audrey Hepburn. Okay. Um, and her whole crew is all women. Amazing. So she's doing it, and they've been traveling all around the fucking world doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I haven't actually spoken to her about the difference. I guess that she feels that 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 what what has those um conditions does she feel will what will that create that she wouldn't have got with maybe a more mixed um crew but in your experience that what do you find it enables to happen
1: um i think the most important thing is to kind of pick apart the the innate power struggle um Struggle's not the right word. The innate power hierarchy Hmm. between um, a man and a woman. That's, there's no more to that sentence, you know, like full stop. Because although in most of my career, I've been, you know, I'm quite a, a ballsy person. Even the fact that I say ballsy is interesting, you know, because men have balls, women don't, you know. So that's me saying I'm a masculine person, which is not true i um, you know, and I like to think that I'm quite a feminine person, mm. but, you know, I'm not afraid to speak my mind. But it was actually when I started directing more so, and I guess because I'm then in charge of a bigger team, that I realised, and actually I should say my first ever like foray into directing, quite by accident, a lot of the team were female. So again, I started, you know, that was that's what I thought all sets would be like. Um, until I got to, I went to Atlanta and shot a music video out there and I had a first AD who's meant to be my my, my right hand man, um, got along with him like a house on fire. It was amazing. So I was actually feeling really confident about everything because I knew that over there, certainly, uh, I know that the we had a female project manager and a female producer, neither of whom had worked with a female director before ever in their lives. So I almost felt a certain responsibility in that. Yeah. Um, but that told me what kind of crew I was going to be working with. None of them had worked with a female director either. So my first AD, who was an absolute pleasure, it got to about 5am. We did two night shoots. So it's 5am on the, on the morning of the first night shoot. And I thought I was maybe imagining it, but suddenly anything I said sort of went over his head. And if my male director of photography said something, things seem to be happening. Okay. But I'm like, okay, I don't want to be that person who's like, you know, somebody's being sexist, you know, because even that feels still difficult to do, especially when who am I going to tell the men on the set? Right? Like difficult situation. You know, my producer and my EP were both men from mm-hmm. my side, so I'm like, mm. anyway. It got to the point where he turned around and said something to me like, "Oh, we better do what Olivia says, lest she gets her panties in a fucking twist," and I was like,
0: "No, not having it." Like
1: this is where this is where I can't I can't deal with this. And my reaction was to cry, and I'm not ashamed of that. But God forbid a crew of 95% men was going to watch me cry on set. I would have lost all authority that I'd I'd sort of built up, you Mm. know. And, And ultimately, I'm trying to be the boss of all of these guys, you know. So I had to walk away to do that, which in itself really pissed me off, actually, because I shouldn't have to be ashamed of crying. It doesn't make me any less strong Mm. you know that's just my version of a male director who might throw a cup of coffee in someone's face okay and it's much safer i must say to leak from the face than to attack somebody you know or kick and scream and you know um so i walked away and spoke to my, my, my male EP and producer. And I said, look, I'm not having this. Like, this is what's going on. And, you know, they were both really supportive. You know, do you want us to talk to him? Do you want us to kick him off set? Do you want us to? And I'm like, well, what good is that going to do me? We kick him off set. I lose a shoot day. You go and speak to him. The girls got the boy to come and, you know, like none of it seemed right. So mm. I'm like, what I want to do is I want to carry on now. Like you guys need to hype me back in. Let's carry on and I'll speak to him when we're finished. So I I grabbed him at the end of the the shoot day. And I, you know, I told him to come over and he went, ooh. And I said, nah. I was like, even the fact that you've done that. And I said to him, look, it's 2019. It was 2018. I said, it's 2018. It was going to be 2019. (laughs) It's going to be 2019 next year. Yeah, (laughs) I said, it's 2018. And it's embarrassing how you've treated me tonight. Mm. And, you know... The thing that was so interesting was, I mean, I obviously went on more of a rant and I explained to him exactly what happened. He said to me, oh, it's just locker room chat. I said, I don't care if you think it's locker room chat or not. Look with your eyes around you right now. And he did. I said, show me where the women are. No women were left there. Everyone had gone home, you know, like all that's left is crew, men, 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 men everywhere. I'm like, this is who I'm trying to keep my authority in front of. And you undermined me. And he, to his... Um, what's the word in his defence the next day I got a message before we got on set saying hi Olivia I'm going to bring better energy today just wanted you to know that and he did and you know I think sometimes it's as simple as people just haven't and why would you if you're used to being a man on set with yeah. men there's nothing new there if your that ignorance day for is you. never challenged exactly and you know I don't really know where I'm going with this but you know it was, it was a moment where I, I really felt like what am I going to do about this? There was there was nothing that was appropriate. Me crying was inappropriate. Me having my male producer say something felt inappropriate. Me saying something myself felt really difficult because I felt like I was having to... It was difficult for me to stand up for myself in that way because I, you know, like, like maybe a man may have been, yeah. I wasn't brought up to think that I can command a room like that, you know? And so I think that's like a micro a micro incident in a big world of macro incidents like that, you know, even down to the pitching process. I think, you know, when you get to a higher level with directing and, and you're going for big brands and big commercials, you know, like inherently, even some of the women who are working at those companies will trust a man more. Mm.
0: And maybe or that's it comes because... down to the fact that it's harder to find women with... The same amount of experience that a man has, which means that a woman taking charge of a project is a greater risk, even though they're probably just as capable to do it. Exactly. They just haven't had the opportunities and the chance taken on them.
1: And that's what, you know, I had a very interesting conversation with a guy who works in advertising who um, I pretty much told this same story to. And he said to me, well, firstly, he said two things. One, he said... um, I hear what you say about crying, but I can see why a client would be uncomfortable if there was somebody crying on set. And I said, well, that's not my issue to change. Mm. That is their issue to change. There is no difference between someone kicking, screaming and shouting and someone crying. It is two different expressions of exactly the same emotion, you know, so I'm not going to take the responsibility for them thinking that's a weakness because it's not as far as I'm concerned. And, And if I inhibit that behavior I'm propagating this same thing Mm. we've got to get over it you know it's this whole you know you're acting like a girl like yeah great and you know doesn't mean that I'm not capable doesn't mean that I'm not in control doesn't mean that I'm not well maybe it does mean I'm not in control but so does the kicking and screaming that means that man is not in control at that moment Mm. you know So I found that really frustrating.
0: With these inclusive environments and making sure that the crew looks like what uh, your your friendship circles look like, or you know, making sure that it's as the spectrum is as celebrated as possible. Yeah. How does that then benefit the work? What does that do for what comes out of the process?
1: Well, because it gives you a wider pool of understanding for a start. It also gives you a wider pool of like input. You know, there's. I am i don't like to work as an island, you know, I'm there to listen to people's suggestions. And if there's someone on set and, you know, I need to think, what does this person do next? You know, I'm stuck. What does this person do next? You know, then if I ask my team around me, there's going to be five different people with five different perspectives on what that person should do next. Mm. And that is all about how you're brought up, who you hang around with, you know, like, what your life has been so far as to how you're going to answer that specific question. And if I have five people with five different backgrounds, I've got five interesting next steps to choose from. If everyone comes from the same place, you're going to get, you get a more homogenous answer to Mm. something. And that's the same in like working methods. You know, I think the other thing is there's an entitlement that comes with being... I want to say straight, white, and male, but I don't necessarily use that as like a term that defines someone's gender, sexuality, or, hold on, race. Yeah. Because actually, I think that all different people can be straight, white, and male. It's it's kind of like a word for a societal upbringing that gives you entitlement, tells you that a certain way of being is professional, a certain dress code is smart a certain you know and that has has filtered down from straight white maleness they rule the world we know this Mm. and if you can surround yourself with people other than that you will always get the side of the coin from a person who has had to fight against that their whole lives no matter what your difference is to that kind of homogenous top line You get the hustlers, you get the kind of hardest working people. I think you get better problem solvers. You get, because by their very life, they've had to do more of that, Hmm. you know. And for me, that creates an environment of people who who I like to think, think in terms of their working mentality, like I do. You know, we can hustle and problem solve our way out of anything, even if all the lights break and there's no camera left, how can we make this work? Someone in that room will have an idea, Yeah, you know? So that's what I think it,
0: you know, kind of brings to the table. It's interesting that we've ended up here almost as an entry point, away from the esoteric stuff. Once we've kind of detached from ourselves, this is where we've ended up straight away. And it's almost like a reflex, Yeah, it feels. Is this something that you feel like you have to be defensive of As a white woman in a black-dominated space, is it something you feel like you have to defend? Um, Because, you know, like you said, it could be a black woman doing your job and it feels like maybe you feel like it should be.
1: Yeah, and and in lots of instances it should be. Hmm. And I think... So the first thing I would say is the word defend is... I would chop and change that word out dependent on who I was talking to. Okay. Because I don't need to defend that point to anyone who has lived that point, if that makes sense. But so, so I would like to think that I'm less defensive and more um, proactive. Okay. Because the one thing that I am absolutely certain I don't want to do is sit back and let things happen around me. You know, I'm here because I want, and actually my kind of reason for being, I'm learning as I grow older and the more I sort of delve into the kinds of projects and the kinds of cultures and places and people that I photograph and direct. I'm realising that I am like an equality warrior, if there is such a thing. And... I am very frustrated by how the world is completely imbalanced. Mm. And if I can be a small part of a conversation, mm, I'm going to caveat this, because the thing is, it's like, I don't want to preach to the converted. There are lots of people who have who have lived this who don't need to hear what I'm saying right now. There are also a lot of people, and a lot of those people tend to have like, kind of high up positions in ad agencies, you know, it's, it's a lot of people who don't or haven't understood what I'm saying now, just like that first AD on that shoot, you know, mm. might not have ever, ever thought about the fact that it was all men and I was the woman in charge, you know. I think there's a lot of people that haven't yet had somebody in an impassioned way to the point where they won't take your project unless you sort out how you're running it explain to them or pull them up on their own behaviour and their own ability to make a difference in this world. And I think that, you know, in in many ways, it, it kind of gets me into trouble, you know, maybe trouble is not the right word, but I've definitely been pulled up on um, talks I've done, you know, I've been pulled up on on the fact that I work mainly in you know, within black culture, that that's been like such a major focus of my work, you know, I've been pulled up on that many times and and I'm always here to listen to that. I'm never going to mm. brush away a person who makes that kind of critique against me. The unfortunate reality of my art, I suppose, is that the focus or my way of um expressing what I'm focusing on to date has been very much to try and show the other side and actually what i think maybe is missing which i've not focused on because the representation was so imbalanced when i was coming up as a photographer is the sort of straight white male side of things which actually now now that what's in front of the lens does seem to be becoming more balanced yeah that's where I think I need to kind of focus my attentions
0: when you say uh, more balanced I'm guessing you mean in a a corporate mainstream way right because obviously these um, subcultures and these pockets have always existed of where these people have been celebrated and people have been working but I guess it's more just about um, them getting their dividends in exactly. return, exactly. not just existing for existence sake and documenting for documentation yeah. sake, but being able to make a living yeah. out of, out of, uh, the craft, out exactly. of their work.
1: but also, you know, like you said, it's, it's that kind of, it's the, um, unintentional absorption. This is a great sentence. The unintentional absorption of the imagery and the video that is around you. Yeah nowadays there is more of a balance and representation within advertising within you know x y and z but but what is very dangerous about that you know when we're watching our adverts now and we see you know a beautiful mixed family having their kelloggs you know yeah. that's good but what is dangerous is that is not it
0: it's not what well, it's not solved because not fixed.
1: who made that advert yeah okay you know and who went home with 250 grand for making that advert, mm. and that's where and this is the bit that i don't i like I don't really even like talking about because it almost undermines everything I'm trying to do, but there are scenarios in which I am offered work where it is not right for me, and that job must be passed on to someone else. There's no point to have examples of it. you know that's not the kind of. I'm not saying it because I want somebody to praise me for doing that. I'm saying it because I do genuinely believe that that is how the world should be. And it's difficult for even me to, you know, to to make that call on what job is okay for me to be a part of, what job is not okay for me to be a part of. So you would
0: look at a job and be like, (laughs) if it doesn't have certain inclusive elements, I will... Pass it on. Is that what you're
1: saying? Um, no, what I'm saying is, you know, well, a really good example is um, I was asked once to shoot a photography project on the f- black female experience. Okay. And I read the brief, and I was like, I literally replied with a, a list of photographers that would be more, that yeah. would be better at that than I would be, yeah. you know. Um, but nowadays, there's, you know, and and I think the important thing to say is that I'm only human. I fuck up all the time. I make all of the mistakes, you know, we all do while we're on a, a, our life journey of unlearning and, and progressing. And it's very difficult sometimes to turn away that job because you've got to pay your rent as well. But then I've got a way up. It's like the, the greatest good for the, for the world. And this is where I start hearing myself be very earnest and it kind of pisses me off because I want to be more like sassy and pithy you know mm. but I think the reality is is that I am I am genuinely authentically on a journey to somehow try and address the rebalance of not just what's in front of the lens I kind of was there as that was changing coming up now I recognize from the people around me who who are frustrated, the creatives around me who are frustrated, the opportunities that come to me and not to them
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: can't understand why although I know very well why You can't
0: understand why it comes to you and not them, not yes. why they're frustrated Oh no, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah Just wanted to make that, that, clear, that for very clear for the listeners, yeah everybody.
1: Um, You know, there's, there's a part of my white privilege yeah. that now I must use to bridge a gap okay and that's a gap that needs to be bridged with other white privileged people
0: yeah
1: who are not trying to be um unequal they're not trying to be closed-minded they just as all humans do kind of pick from a pool of things they know you know if i said to you now babe recommend me someone for a media job yeah you'd pull out of your ass whatever name of the person you know that would be good for the media job. So, again, this comes back to the different people on set and the kind of ways of seeing. Mm. If I asked a different person, who would you recommend for this media job, they might pull someone completely different dependent on their sort of circle. Yeah, And that's what I think, you know, these industries are so insular and have been for so long that I think people don't realise that they are biased by their white privilege you know because of the people that you surround yourself with and so you know the the people that you have to recommend that you've worked with before that you've you know it is by its very nature perhaps more time-consuming To, like you just said, find a woman who is right for the job because she doesn't have as much on her reel because she hasn't been given the opportunity because she's a risk. It's chicken and egg, chicken and egg. Having known how liberal I am, how open-minded I've always thought I was and how many times my eyes have had to be pinned open, Mm. how many times I've had to be smacked in the face with someone else's... Frustrations of something, and I say that not in a way that you know it's a it's a negative thing for me to receive that. It's like you have to you have to listen, you have to open your eyes, and you have to listen. You have to stop being that person of which you know. I know people in my family who are like this, you know, who says things like, "Oh, racism doesn't exist anymore" because I never see it.
0: Well, yeah, but well, you wouldn't.
1: That's nice, yeah. yeah. You know, but and that is where the white privilege comes in. You know, if you have all white friends. And you think that that's, you know, that you've all got a completely open minded way of seeing, then you're you're wrong. Mm. You know, you've got to interact with all sorts of people, all sorts of colours, genders, sexualities to have a broad understanding of the world, you know. Or you have to be delving into that literature or you have to be, you know, it's not necessarily just about the people you hang around. It's about what you let into your intelligence, you Mm. know.
0: As a woman. Yeah. Like you, I'm guessing when you started, it was even more male dominated. How did you get to the position where you are? Was it by men being like, oh, I don't think I'm right for this job. Let's give Olivia a call. Or or was it you like kind of kicking down the door and being like, I'm going to do this anyway, regardless of whether I've got permission?
1: Um do you know, I think the truth is, is that I never thought about it. These were things that I never thought about. And I think that's probably like, you know, that is just a privileged position to be in. You know, I never felt like I wasn't allowed in those spaces. I was brought up. I went to a very expensive private
2: school. Okay. You know,
1: I, I came out of there. And the thing that I realized that I had that that in later life as I went on and started to meet lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds, the thing that I realised that I had that not everyone had, which I was sure that they did, was that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. You know, like I've got a driving licence, so I can drive a taxi if I need to, you know. Like there is no scenario in which I don't feel like I can land on my feet. And that is a very certain type of self-confidence
0: that not everyone is given in their upbringing it's not just it's not in so insular and self-confident in a sense of like i'm good i've got my own back i'll come out roses every single time yeah it's also like i guess a material thing yeah like i've got a driver's license i don't know what your family situation was like but someone might be able to be like i've got parents who will bail me out yeah or you know and then we get into a whole class conversation yeah which i guess all of this really boils down to
1: yeah well, it's, it's inextricably linked, you know, class, yeah. gender, race, society, yeah, <clears throat> creativity, you know. And I think then there's a very big discussion, especially now, to be had on on how we appropriate those things, you mm. know. And how, at the moment, black culture is so in fashion that there's, you know, there's this really fine line between... I always have in in one side of my head is a friend of mine who says, yeah, but we all need to eat. So this is good. So, you know, we're eating. It's good. And on the other side, I've got people who would say to me, you know, I would rather not make the money that I'm making because look at who's taking the lion's share. And it is still, you know, sort of white corporations. Mm. And, you know, whoever can spend the most gets the most back. So, you know, and and that is why I, I return again To not just, like, what is represented, you know? It's not just about making Top Boy a really good example, because I know that their crew was, like, so wonderfully diverse. Mm. And so, therefore, the people literally being paid at the end of the day was a nice, big, beautiful set of diverse people, you know? That is good. It's when you know someone else might put out i can't think of a, an example and i probably wouldn't name and shame but you know there's there's other massive production companies who will be putting out something along those lines mm-hmm. that they know is going to sell that they know is going to appeal to the sort of mass audience that it appeals to now but have absolutely no feelings of responsibility as to who is taking home the money at the end of the day and that is a problem and that is something that we can't solve unless people like me take a little jump off my pedestal every now and again, you know? And that's the bit that is, you know, is is not always easy to talk about or explain. Um that I don't even want to sit and be proud of. I don't want to feel proud of that. I just want to feel like I wish I wish that there were lots of us doing this and you know, and essentially what what you're asking people to do is to to potentially earn less so somebody else can equalize yeah does that make sense yeah some type
0: of like marxist idea
1: yeah which is which is fucking hard because again we can't forget that we're all humans yeah and we've all got our own personal struggles completely aside from gender race sexuality you know there's something going on in your life and there's something going on in my life And you might need some money right now and I might need some money right now. And it's, you know, it's trying to find that balance in life where it's kind of like what they say about the environment and recycling. You know, we don't need 1% of people to do it perfectly. We need 100% of people to recycle badly, you know, because that's what makes the difference. And that's how I feel about, you know, the equality within the arts is we don't just need 10% of people to be doing this perfectly, we need everyone to be, to be making aware an of the responsibility we have to others,
0: full stop. But at the end, it, it, it all is coming back to money. Yeah. And actually the art itself, the thing that maybe I feel like should be the focus of it, but I don't know who am I to say, is the celebration of diversity and a spectrum of perspective and experience. But really what it all boils down to is, is money, yeah. is survival and power. So it it's, it splits me a little bit. Yeah, I'm not saying like don't do it because obviously I am a humanist. I believe that experience should be triumphed and we should have yeah. as many points of reference to cross-reference as possible because yeah. it will make all of our experiences richer and we'll be so much closer to truth with so much more understanding. But when it, it, it like a representation, let's say in advertising, it's to make people feel better about parting with their money to a bigger brand yeah like why should i give you my money i don't see myself in your commercials i don't see myself in your brand campaigns yeah so such so it's like uh when it comes to advertising it's almost a manipulation tactic to make people feel like oh no come and give us your cash it's not about humanity yeah it's about exchanging numbers yeah so that kind of splits me a little bit. Aside. I hear that. Just have a picture of a T-shirt. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just advertise the product. Why attach it to a lifestyle? Yeah. Why make it about anything other than what's being sold?
1: But that's, that's the inherent and major critique of advertising and essentially the world of commerce in itself, mm. you know, and, and I completely agree with you on that. You know, and it's what is difficult is... Nowadays, trying to genuinely separate yourself from, or or like I said right at the very beginning, it's towing the line of art and commerce, you know, because, I mean, if it's difficult to get into the kind of big commercial world of advertising, and there is a pocket in there that does do good things for humanity because they have a massive platform. Yeah, That's the other side of it. That's the side of it that I wish I was involved in that I'm trying to edge towards because the platform is so huge that you can you can viscerally make a difference yeah very difficult to convince the client but that's another conversation and then the other side of it is the art world which is just as impenetrable just as if not more so it's it's what's that word for when everyone is somebody's um daughter or cousin or you know
2: Insular. when yeah, but there's a specific oh, oh, word Oh, incestuous.
1: For it. No, that's when people are all fucking each other. Well, I mean, but if
0: everyone's someone's cousin or daughter... Yeah, okay, or... fine.
1: Incestuous, <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite a good word for it. You know, the art world is is a rich man's world. Yeah. You know, the galleries, the, the ones that make loads of money, they're all in West London. Yeah. You know, they're all frequented by the Tamara Beckwiths of the world, you know, and that is... Actually, arguably, even more impenetrable,
0: gorilla girls than the
1: advertising world. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you walk into the, I don't know if it's uh, the exhibition now, but I think it's one of the free ones in the tape. The first thing you see now is the gorilla girls. Like ninety-five percent of the work in this gallery is by men. Blah 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 blah. Breaks down all of the demographics yeah. and 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 speaks to your point on it being so impenetrable. Yeah. But again, it's like it's. <sighs> It, again, it's come back to money. It's like yeah. the people in these galleries, the people that are af- afforded a luxurious lifestyle or even at times just a comfortable lifestyle yeah. from their expression. And it is this...
1: But you see, that comes back to, and I think I said way earlier, we were talking about, I said something about art and the struggle and how... Yeah. Okay, so... so it's almost like, and the thing that maybe pisses me off the most about how people I know really well view what I do, you know, it's so exciting. You must love your life. You get to be at home all the time. You don't have to go to the office. Oh, you know, like, and then and when you do
0: have to go somewhere, you know, you're with all these people exactly, and it must be so Like, oh my God, you
1: fly all over the world. All of these things, right? And do you know what? None of those are necessarily incorrect, mm. but the bit that no one sees is the bit where I'm not getting any work and I don't think I'm ever going to work again or the bit where my mental health is so bad because of the insecurities that this world has placed upon me by my inability to get a job when, pardon me, I thought I was good at what I did and now suddenly someone else is taken all of the jobs that I wanted, you know, the bit where I'm screaming into my pillow at night, you know, and the bit where this is all on me. There is no boss of the company. I am the boss of the company. And if I can't get a job tomorrow, if I, especially with the subjects that I work with, if I don't say the right thing, if I do a podcast like this and I terribly offend the wrong person my reputation might be slayed I might not work with any of those people again everything I've built might be taken away from me like this is what is going through my head constantly the stress of of not having a routine you know waking up and not knowing next week if I can say yes to your podcast or if I might win this job and you know all of that is hard and the thing that I come back to is, you know, a, a good friend of mine always says, you know, well, you're an artist. So you have to, you know, you've got to have the struggle to be an artist. And then I get my therapist's words in my ears, you know, and she says to me, you're afraid that if you, and for want of a better phrase, I'm going to say fix yourself, you know, that you won't be creative anymore. Well,
0: what does that, what does that mean? How do the two relate? <laughs> There's a difference between like, oh, you need the struggle and if you don't fix yourself, but...
1: well. I mean, this. Ugh, where do you
0: come into this equation? Because we have kind knows. of tiptoed around you up yeah, until now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, where do I come into this equation? Well, you know, it's like if I don't, you know, a lot of my kind of issues that I have been dealing with, you know, like not wanting to, I don't know, go out and take a load of drugs, wanting to, you know, like straighten my life out and be more of a human being who has boundaries and won't be available for somebody at 9pm on a Sunday night because yeah. I'm desperate for the work, desperate for yeah, the yeah. work, you know. That is in direct conflict with almost how people feel that you should be or, like, it's like this feeling that because I do what I love to do, I should therefore be constantly available to do it. I should, you know, it, it is very hard to separate For me to separate the work from the me. Yeah. You know, like, that's almost impossible. It's definitely not the same as other people I know who go to work as a means to an end to get a paycheck, to live for the weekend, to, you know, any hour but nine to five is a good hour. You know, me, I don't know when the weekend is because it's all one fucking thing, you know. And I often feel like people... Don't have any sympathy for me wanting to not pick up the phone at 11 because I'm an artist and that's what I should do. Yeah. And that's not healthy. And I think there's also this misconception that I think filters into even me that you can't have stable mental health. You can't feel stable if you want to be an artist. And so in that sense, my therapist is right in many ways, you know, because how can I be an artist and also have a really normal life?
0: I think that maybe you find yourself in the middle of the two, like you you are trying to find that balance between the art and commerce. And if you were fully commerce, then you would be, In a production company or whatever, and you would be being assigned projects. Yeah. And you would be nine to five office hours and it would be working for you. And then if you were all the way on the side of artists, if you were really delving into yourself, then you would also be not so accessible. Yeah. Just like I'm sure Kano isn't. Yeah. You can't call him on Sunday on a nine o'clock because his boundaries are well established. Yeah. So, like, you find yourself in the middle of these things. Like, maybe it comes back to that. Fear of being like, of boundary setting, I guess. Like, I am an artist. I am, you can't call me at this time. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's the, you're, you are an artist. Like, uh, you can tell that in your work. And if you weren't, you wouldn't be as good as you are and you, and people wouldn't love you as much. As they do, oh.
1: and and people who <laughs> I you hated everything you just said, but I'll t- I'll deal with it.
0: But also someone who is so amazing, like Kano, yeah, wouldn't love you as much as he does, and wouldn't trust you as much as he does, yeah. But then it's this commerce part, yeah, that's muddying the waters, yeah, and is pulling you into that space of where someone might expect you to to do a Sunday nine o'clock. Oh, can yeah. you put a little treatment together? And if it's not in by the morning, you're going to lose it. And yeah. you might not have work for a month. So it's like juggling the the two worlds. Like you said, I don't, the more we talk about it, I don't think there is a line between art and commerce. Like I think commerce just poisons it yeah. every single time. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's a conversation I had with a friend of mine, actually a while ago about how, it's so difficult for the artists to just be in that space, to be open all of the time because of the internet and because of accessibility, but also because of the business element. Once you start introducing money, you start introducing uh, conversations between teams and between parties. And this might be a curse or a blessing, like maybe, you know, the 27 Club or whatever madness, insanity that is associated with full commitment to the art maybe it's a blessing in a sense that the commerce takes you out of that space and doesn't make you want to put a gun to your head or whatever or put your head in an oven yeah or any of the the other things but a
1: gun to your head in an oven (laughs)
0: yeah right (laughs) with the gas on and just blow the whole house apart yeah blow up. maybe maybe that is a blessing maybe Mm. that's saving people but also at the same time maybe it's diminishing our returns and in what we're getting now it's like we're so focused on how it affects dividends and profits and how much people make and all of that other stuff instead of like championing what i personally feel it's all about is the human the individual the self and i don't really know But how
1: is that human individual self meant to pay their rent you know and this is where it comes back to you know i think there is you know there are lots of people nowadays who can be an artist Mm. but they've got to live off daddy's bankroll or something yeah well someone's they got to... they don't have
0: to live in london
1: yeah but even if but you don't you live do in have london... to live
0: in london for meetings or whatever
1: yeah i mean and and there's you know there is an argument either way to say that you know if you're here you're within it and you you know but it doesn't matter if you live in london margate or or f- but fuck nowhere mm. you've got to pay your rent you've got to buy your paints you've got to yeah re-up your canvases you've got to you know and where's that money coming from uh, and I hate being this person who's saying this because actually, like, money is not my... That is not my driving force. But but even the fact that I can say that money is not my driving force denotes a certain kind of privilege on my part. There are lots of people for, for whom money has to be their driving force because they've got mouths to feed. They've yeah. got, you know, a, a flat to keep going. They've got bills to pay.
0: Yeah. And, I, and the industry of art... Our- is a completely different topic, I think. Like, yeah. if you're a gaffer yeah. and you're a woman yeah. and you've got a kid, yeah. that's a whole completely different conversation as to if you're a photographer who's just operating by themselves. Yeah. Right? I mean, obviously, it is a very nuanced conversation. And I think if we'll try to keep it more to the individual, the artists themselves. but
1: But even, you know, like, how can you, you know, like, because that... That's like my ultimate dream and I think about it all the time how I wish I had headspace from the commerce side of things from the side of my job that that has to keep buying film to put in my camera yeah I wish I could take a break from that because it it is poison mm. and that is what creates so many of the insecurities that I have within my work, which is, arguably in my life, one of the most stable. I don't even know how to phrase this. Like it's, it's one of the things that doesn't that I always know is there. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, there's lots of other things in my life that I don't know if I'm going to wake up and, and feel okay about them, you know, but work is pretty much always there. And if everything else falls to shit, I know that I can, Work, You know, I know I can go back to creating images or drawing something or, you know, finding some peace and some like kind of solace in that. And I wish that I could have the space, the time, the kind of inability to need to pay my bills in order to be that person. Then Mm. maybe I would feel like that artist.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm in this. I'm in a, an exactly the same position. Yeah. Um. But I, I'm not going to make any money off of my music for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Unless I get extremely lucky, which I'm okay with. Yeah. And I think really relieves me of a burden that I can go out, make a commercial, or do some film work. Yeah. To pay for this studio. Yeah. To pay for some time just yeah. for me to like you said have headspace and be able to reflect on myself my journey and make something and my work um it's you don't have to monetize your craft oh no to live like you could just work three or four days a week in a pretty decent job and then you know you have whatever time you have left to do your work i
1: I did do that i did but you know like for 10 years i was a picture editor at various newspapers and magazines. So it was yeah. nothing to do with my photography. It was being in a corporate environment and being in an office and and do you know what? I could not create. Yeah. Because four five days out of every seven, I was in a different headspace. Mm. And the moment when I became the most creative, the moment when I felt the closest to artist was when I gave that job up, not knowing if I could even support myself. And that's when I started shooting the book. Yeah. Which, you know, because because when I first started shooting the book, I was working 24 hours a day. It was like like I was going to kill myself, you know, like through sheer exhaustion. Mm. It was not a good time, you know, like I'm working the, the night shift at the mirror, digital, waking up doing a photo shoot, driving to Milton Keynes to shoot someone else and coming back for the night shift, waking up the next morning and processing the pictures, editing them whilst I'm what work- You know, like there was no sleep going on. Yeah, And that was the first time in many years that I'd really been able to have both things coinciding at once. And I say this to a lot of my friends who I know are creatives, who I know are kind of stuck at the moment in the rat race of, of pure corporate money jobs yeah. that it is so hard to do the both at once. You've just got to sack off the one and go to the other. But if you do that, and that's what made me feel like, like I was really following my dreams. And, and if there's one thing I'm proud of, it's that I can support myself now with my art. That's That's what makes me the most proud, you know? Like not having to have that other job, not having to have that five day a week distraction that exhausted me so much that I couldn't ever create is a blessing. Mm-hmm. But in order for me to keep it that way, I have to I have to earn. And that, you know, that is at the expense of monetizing parts of my craft, you know, and I think it's interesting you say that because there are parts of it that will always be too precious to monetize. Like what? Like um, my, my glass prints that I make, you know, like they are not made for sale. They are made because they are extraordinarily beautiful and because nothing makes me feel more connected with the freedom of the spirit of artistry as when I've got a pane of glass with a black and white picture printed onto it and I'm terrified to make a mark on it with an engraver because what if I fuck it up, you know? Like, that is what really thrills me and gives me life. And it's interesting even having this conversation because I know that I have been... It's it's almost now that I'm talking about, you know, it, it was probably about four or five years ago that I, no, maybe four years ago that I actually gave up the day job. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting now we're talking because I see how I've turned my art a little bit into the day job again now. Yeah. And I see now both ways that that actually inhibits artistry. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is just the the monetization of that. No matter what way you're doing it, that sort of focus on needing to pay the rent, needing to, you know, those things that we all have to do, how that affects my ability to be free. And it really does, you know, and that's something that I'm, you know, I I literally said it this morning in therapy. I said, there's so many things I want to do. I want to paint. I want to read books. I want to, and it's stuff that it's like embarrassing. that I would say that so easy to paint or read a book. It's, I'm not saying I want to climb Kilimanjaro. That Mm. takes planning, you know, to read a book. It's, it's this hard, you know, that, that's <laughs> well, all I had to do. Time is the
0: only obstruction. Of- well,
1: it's not even time. It's psychology, you know, like there's a psychology behind my inability to do that. It's like, it's like.
0: Well, that's, you're talking about openness then. What do you mean? Well, the psycho the psychology behind reading a book is yeah. to absorb information. Yeah. To absorb information, you have to open yourself up. Yeah. So it's not, th- it's not time and it's not, um. The mentality is not being able to open yourself up to oh, receive. So it's you're back in the same cycle yeah. again. Of yeah, you've, you're just doing something for money. Yeah, and that's taking up so much of your mental space that you're the the switch over. It's yeah. not necessarily like if you could switch like that. Yeah, which I guess is some kind of mastery in itself. Yeah, it's just the switching over of your mindset and your perspective from like not being so cerebral and working to kind of sitting back more and just being open to receive whatever kind of inspiration or whatever kind of energy that you need to grow, I guess, because that's what you want to do when you're reading, right? You want to learn, you want to grow, you want to expand. And I'm guessing that's painting, working, reading, all of this stuff is just... Physical manifestations of your desire to grow, mm. and that's not happening because of your preoccupation with survival.
1: How? Well, I mean, yeah, I do agree with you, but then that makes me uh, that makes me feel sharp about, you know, how can you not be preoccupied? I mean, I'm I'm pissing myself off because if I was sat on the other side of the table. If I was ha- oh, I just imagined that you and me and that felt really weird <laughs> looking at myself <laughs> for a second. Um, the power of the mind, eh? You know, if I was sat on the other side of the table, my line to everyone, and I really fucking mean this, is you cannot think about the money because the second you think about the money, it's not authentic anymore. Mm. And that is the truth. <clears throat> With anything that I make that I consider to be, you know, a, a great project or art or... It's interesting. One of my assistants said to me today, "You should make a book," and I thought to myself, "What would I put
0: in it?" And I've already done that. Well, but do they mean a book about you?
1: No, he said. He said you should make another book. You know, oh, okay, like he, okay. He wasn't okay. being ignorant, but you know, no, I think what he meant was all of my. You know, I've taken lots of pictures of artists. I've done lots of people's press shots. You know, more than you've even seen on my Instagram or my website. You know, there's. I've got a whole archive of. I believe it. You know, I, I, <laughs> I could, I could tomorrow put out a book. But that... When I'm saying, what would I put in it? It's me saying, that's not art. Because that's where I make my money. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. And I almost feel bad saying this. I feel like I'm going to lose work. But um, fuck it. Fuck the preoccupation with survival. You know, like, my art has barely been explored yet. That's why I don't feel like I've earned my stripes as an artist. Okay. Because... There, I haven't felt that I've had that much opportunity to take that plunge into freedom, which is what, you know, when I gave up the day job, when I was doing the book, I mean, the book Real Talk never made us a penny financially,
2: Yeah, well. but
1: it was a springboard for more work. So to say that I haven't benefited from it financially is incorrect, but...
0: um, It's similar to Grime itself in those times. Yeah. Like, you look at it now, Grime's uh, growth and your career growth is like is Grime never made any of those guys a penny back in the day. But yeah. now, you know, some people who have stuck at it and have continued to grow alongside it yeah. are doing all right. Yeah, and It's exactly the same, yeah, I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. But it was one of those situations where I just... Um, I made a decision and that decision was, fuck it. Hmm. And actually, that is... You know, really, that's kind of like, let's go back to what is art. Art is the moment when you say, fuck it. That's actually my answer to your first question, you know, because that is the moment at which you say, I don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks about what I'm doing. I don't give a fuck about whether or not I make any money. I am driven to do this. There is nothing I can do to stop it now. It must be done. Fuck it, you know. And that is so brave. Mm. That it is not, you know, and especially in the world we live in today, you know, there, there used to be a scenario where you could live in a bubble, you know, where you could really remove yourself, you know. And, and do you know what? You can now. I could take myself somewhere and I could live on the beach in a hut
0: and I could throw
1: my phone in the water. yeah. But it's not realistic,
0: you know. It's not uh, economic either.
1: Exactly. And it and it's also pretty archaic, you know. Like, yeah. it is 2019. These things are surrounding us. There and they is... can be
0: extremely positive tools if used properly. Exactly.
1: Exactly. You know, to, to not have the internet to research imagery. Yeah. Although saying that, <clears throat> you know, this year, in my 33rd year of life, I went and got myself a British Library card. Nice. Because... Because I really do see the worth in the physical object. That brings me back to analog photography, you know, like my sort of reaction to digital photography is partly because I don't believe that my work is the same as that kind of instant gratification you get from me taking a picture of you now and uploading it to Instagram. You know, there is a process between even if I can speed that process up by the by the people that I work with, that I can have it online in two hours that's not what my work means to me and I've completely forgotten what my chain of thought was where were we who fucking knows I'm just listening fuck Instagram we're
0: chasing that train fuck it yeah (laughs) we do I'm still chasing that train (laughs) but when you say when you say to me I don't feel like I can say I'm an artist what that says to me really underneath that is I'm hiding something (laughs)
2: <laughs> fucking hell
0: because if someone says no trust me i yeah. don't deserve it yeah deep in the reservoir of the mind somewhere is a little bit of uh, i'm holding something back but let's not talk about it you know let's just trust me i don't deserve it so i wonder what you feel like you would need to do in order for you to feel like it was a title that you deserved even though one time already you've stood up and gone fuck it Fuck it all, I'm doing what I need to do.
1: I know exactly the answer to that question, which I didn't think I was going to know. I didn't know it until you finished asking it. It's because I still care what people think.
2: Mm.
0: I really think that's the answer to that question. I still care what people think. And are you saying that you can never be an artist while holding yourself ransom to the opinion of others?
1: Yes, because then even, even in moments when I think... I am being free. I am ultimately at the mercy of my audience, you know, and you really are like a therapist. You know that. It's like, it's like uncanny, your way of like picking apart what somebody's saying. You're quite bold and brash with it as well. You ask quite bold questions. Anyway, I just, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that back at you because I'm like, okay, he's really, really going in. Um, But yeah, you know, I think, there comes a point where you know I have to recognize that it's not just my work I care about what people think about me Mm. and I think that that has actually caused me like you know I've I've been in conflict for quite a few years you know I'm like exhausted by the the mental conflict that is going on with me and it feeds into a lot of the it, it, it's kind of taken root and fed into a lot of my life, my work, my personal life, you know, everything all thrown together. And even when I started to get more followers on Instagram, you know, which business-wise, you know, is really good. You've got more eyes on you. But on a personal level, my ability to be myself or post whatever the fuck I wanted to post went out of the window. Hmm. And that didn't, it didn't just happen overnight. It built up in a way that you don't realise it's happening until one day I looked at, or or I was analysing the way that I was about to post or not post something and thought, oh, hold on a second. You're a person who thinks about whether or not you're going to post something now. Because there's, you know, 20,000 people looking as opposed to 15, Yeah. you know. And those 15 are like good friends who... Who know wouldn't me. care anyway yeah. you know and so yeah I mean you know I think this is stuff that I, I would love to think that I or I would love to be able to say I don't give a shit mm. but I do and I think actually that's you know in in everything in my life in you know my sessions with my therapist in my you know conflict I'm going through at the moment in my sort of I feel like at the moment I'm in I'm in a period of, like, growth. I'm in a, um, you know, when the graph is like that and then suddenly you have, like, a mm. steep period of learning. I feel like I'm in one of those at the moment. And I feel like the ultimate conclusion or the place that I would like to get to is to free myself from from the shackles of caring about what people think of me and what I'm doing. You know, that's the reason why... I don't want to paint is because someone could turn around and say the fuck she thinks she's a painter now yeah i don't want to hear that you know and actually where i need to be is i know that i'm a painter so you saying that is lol to me yeah you know
0: well the the thing about judgment is that by the time personally speaking by the time I've presented you anything, I've already said everything you're gonna say about it yeah. to myself. There's nothing that someone could I call d- it
1: Eminemism.
0: Eminemism, yeah. What in the way that you will make a clown of yourself exactly. and use it as a weapon exactly. against everybody yeah. else? Yeah, it's the I've been to hell and back with this piece of work. Yeah, and I know everything that's wrong with it. Yeah, and I'm proud of it anyway. Yeah, and that's the the way I kind of freed myself from judgment. Was like I'm. I will tear anything I make to absolute shreds and if on the other side of that I still want to share it, then I'm free. Yeah. And But the thing about judgment again is um, other people's judgment, the currency of that is validation. So even something like survival, I'm surviving on somebody else's terms. I'm not surviving because I truly want to live. Mm. I'm surviving because I want other people n- to know that I can, mm. which is like, then just my mere existence is to satisfy other people and that for me is something oh. something that can that that makes life meaningless yeah completely meaningless because i'm not even in control of my own like being yeah which is i'm as good as dead yeah. in that sense so getting away from that is is the most important thing for anybody of um, I can't... It's something, actually, I'm going to... Forgive me for this, but I'm going to go on my Twitter okay. because it's something that was in my head quite a lot today, actually.
1: I love how you're like, you know, like the the meaning of life and otherwise I should be dead. Let me just go on my Twitter and yeah, find right. it.
0: <laughs> um, it's
1: very 2019 of you. <laughs>
0: um... I think I deleted one of them, but it was, I, I said, when you are no longer looking for other people to provide you with anything, you're no longer afraid of their judgment. I give it all to the outside world and ask for nothing in return, except maybe the opportunity to give again. Mm. And I was just like, it sat at my computer and I was working and I was just like thinking about people's motivations. And when it comes down to it, like if, if you're not existing on your own terms, then what's the point? Mm. And it's so interesting that, you, that what you're coming out with is like is a, is a confession essentially, and yeah. you're like, I am a painter. And what does it take? You know, I, the artist. The, 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 what someone said to you the other day about if the artist doesn't have suffering, yeah, the only thing anybody ever suffers with is the react is the repressed reality of themselves. Yeah, that's the only real suffering, right? The, yeah, the only the only way that anyone can be hurt is when your gift isn't being given or being received, you know, whatever. Um and it's true because oh no wait, what, what am I fucking saying? Um it's we don't need to suffer. The artist doesn't need to suffer. You don't need to hit rock bottom. You don't need to completely self-destruct in order to go I have nowhere else to go now apart from I am a painter.
1: Ooh, hold on. Okay, but I think the reason that so many people do mm. and that is, you know, like literally tried and tested. We could sit here and think of, of a million examples, I think, of people who have, you know, v- virtually almost self-destructed before yeah. they've created the masterpiece. Like maybe that is because, you know, the the demons, the mob society is so fucking against it. It's so strong You know, that pull back into validation, into instant gratification, into caring more about how it's received than caring about the making of it. You know, that is so strong that I think for some people and perhaps, you know, to an extent, myself included, I even said to you, you know, I had to get to the point where I was not sleeping and I was not well Mm. before I said, fuck it, you know, because I couldn't just be brave and say, fuck it while I was well. Because then, because then, quite frankly, you know, my mum, there's a there's a good example of person would have thought I was mad. Yeah. You know, like sorry, what do you mean, fuck it? Like, but so, you know, you you're getting paid a set like, what are you gonna do? You know, it's all of these things that people say to you. You know, like, well, nobody might buy it. You might like never make any money again. You know, and the point is, is that if you're an artist, you say I don't care. You know, and if you really mean that, you will be successful.
0: Yeah. It's uh, the tortured artist archetype leading to a masterpiece of some sort. is very valid, but it's very short-sighted in the sense of like all of human history and all of human capability in the sense that we only know a masterpiece or we can only define a masterpiece in reference to suffering. We don't know what a masterpiece looks like on the other side of joy because... Mm. All modern artistic creation has always been at the mercy of a judge. If we take it back to, let's say, uh, when I say this, Western civilization, it's mm. always tied to religion. Mm-hmm. God as the judge, which now as we get cl- uh, further and further away from that idea, is now about the audience. Is now about the paying customer. They take the place of God. Yeah. They decide whether it's good enough or not. Yeah. But before all of that, before there was any judge, there was pure joy and expression and it was an it just left the body, you know, like I'll, I'll Transcendental. Say for, I'll Transcendental. say for, I'll use yeah. Rumi for an exa- uh, yeah. for an example. Yeah. It's not about the reception. Mm-hmm. It's not about how it's revered. It's not about what you get in return. It's just given out of love, out of pure love. And you can read back those poems, and and they're immortal. Mm-hmm. And you can look at art, or you can read literature like from any of these pre-Christian societies or whatever pre-religion mm-hmm. societies. And you can be like, these are immortal. Mm. These stand true because there is no judge. It's just true expression in whatever form that mm. takes. But I feel like we might look at, or they might look at art in the future now and be like, wait, who were these for? Because they're so of the times. Yeah. And we can't find a place to look at them from. Yeah. Because we're not so judgmental. Hopefully we would evol- have evolved into some kind of enlightenment yeah. or something. Hm.
1: But... Wishful thinking. Yeah, right. (laughs) It really is wishful thinking.
0: (laughs) But it's this connection between the product of art and the judge and us thinking, well, we have to suffer for it. When being like, no, you don't have to go into a place again of self-denial. You don't have to get to a place where you're like, I'm not a painter, I'm not a painter, I'm not a painter. And the voice going, you are, Mm, you are, mm. gets louder and louder and louder. You've been there once. Mm. Do you have to go there again? Is it a thing of like a metronome where it swings that way mm. and swings back and it swings that way again and you get closer and closer to the middle every time? Mm. Do we have to peel back these layers, like break down after break down, break through after breakthrough, Or mm. can we have one, see that place of darkness and be like, I'm not going to go back there again. I'm just going to notice like I should have, well, not should have because you couldn't, like I might have in that instance of being like i'm not going to repeat the cycle again because it's counterproductive you don't need to push yourself into survival mode so much to be like to get to that edge do you know what i mean
1: yeah no i know exactly what you mean but i mean you know what what you're suggesting which sounds fucking brilliant is the undoing of 33 years of you know it's it's exactly the same as psychoanalytic therapy that I'm Mm. doing, you know, like to undo those patterns that are so ingrained in human behavior. You know, everyone's got their own cycles that they go through, their own bullshit that they put themselves through. And yeah, you know, that's the goal. That is the goal. Whether or not that's, whether or not that's even possible
0: now. To
1: to completely free yourself of the kind of element of judgment is that possible now in modern society
0: it, it, well i think the judge is always going to be there because even if it's just you in a studio you're always going to start a piece of work and along the way be like no that's not good enough let me yeah. make another decision all yeah. art is a series of choices yeah and it's always a yes, I'll do that because it's good or no, I'll do that because it's bad. There's yeah. al- it's always a process of judgment internally. But I guess it's not really judgment because it's not condemning. It's like, no, it's like more like evolution. Like, yeah. no, that's not a strong idea. I'll take it somewhere else. So I think that that elimi- process of elimination will still occur. But I definitely feel like it's easy, not easy, sorry. It's possible for you to get to a point of where you see everything that you release into the world as a gift for somebody. And it's up to them whether they receive it or not. Your work is done on the release of it. Like if you want to go go re- religious with it, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, none of them ever received what they deserved Mm. in the giving of their message you know most of them were destroyed most of them were ignored most of them were called crazy but the result is not the reward the result is that you don't have to suffer in the suppression of your gift anymore and if you can find Mm. if you can find your reward in just the ability to go "Ah, it's out if you can find it in that then you're free if you can find it in the process, I guess is what I'm saying. If you mm. if you can see the process as the reward, then you don't have to worry about the result.
1: Mm. Do you know? I think it's. I think what is interesting is that you're very, you're very um,
0: deluded, <laughs> idealistic.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely quite idealistic, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I don't think anyway. Um... I was going to say very astute um, because actually I think, and I think this can be seen in my photography especially, that actually I, I have always been so very nearly there.
0: If that makes any sense, like can I spit that back at you? Yeah, I think it's because you will allow someone in front of your lens to be them and not judge. Yeah, and that's you're able to give that space to somebody else, Mm. but not give it to yourself.
1: That's me through and through in all of my life. Yeah, emotionally, you know that that is literally me to a T. Mm. You know, always. You know, but but what I think is interesting is you know what you're saying about what was it you said the the struggle is the suppression of the gift the gift you know and and i think perhaps there's been the wrong focus on what what feels like the the sort of struggle with my work and my photography and you know the things that i make you know and and it's felt like the struggle was partly financial and partly you know etc etc and actually you know ultimately under it all I I do know the answers because it's those little things it's the moments when I say I just want to read a book you know and how completely wild that can be to somebody that I've psychologically repressed my ability to read a book for like maybe six years now that's a long time Mm -hmm. you know I can read a book in a day you know like I'd fucking love it And what is interesting for me is that that hasn't always been the case. It's like as certain things have become freer in my career or my... What's another word for career? My kind of experience of my work, other things have closed off. You know, it's like some doors open, other doors close and it's not always been the case that I've been, and in fact, I think it's kind of the more attention I've had on me, the more judgment I've had, the harder it's been for me to free myself up again.
0: Mm, That makes complete sense.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's, that's the kind of dichotomy of my brain is that you want that adoration, you get it, it inhibits you.
0: You, you realise that you're holding something back, back, which makes you feel like you're not worthy of the applause anyway.
1: So you say, fuck it, you make a masterpiece, you get more adoration. And then you realise the there's, anop- there's
0: another layer of yourself to release. Yeah,
1: But you know, that's when I come back to the metronome, you know, like maybe that is the cycle. How do you break
0: that cycle? Well, actually, no. You, you don't want the metronome to stop because the metron, the the back and forth, the the wave is life itself. Mm. So the only time the actual metronome starts becoming stationary is the point where you go, fuck it, slap, and then it starts swinging again. Yeah. And the th- the game is to keep it in motion. Yeah. To keep it swinging. How can I add a little bit more momentum? How much further can I swing it? The aim is not to bring everything back into stasis. Yeah. It's to, it's to uh, stretch out the the frequency, I guess. Yeah. But obviously it's a fine line because you can go way too far with it. And... and <laughs> <laughs> and that you know, being completely loose is the same as being completely tight so yeah. it, 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 it there is a line to tiptoe but um it's a jolt to the system how can i p- just push push some more energy into it and there'll always be layers hopefully to unpeel mm.
1: and but i mean that the <laughs> even that concept the layers to unpeel you know that is there's so much fear to that there's mm. you know and i can't say this is for everyone but I'm sure that's got to be in some ways universal you know the the more layers you peel back the more of myself I'm exposing to you to to anyone else who cares to look you know and the level of security you have to feel with yourself in order to you know, it's it's kind of like being naked for the camera, you know, the level of security you have to feel to offer the, the deepest, innermost part of yourself when it is ultimately going to be judged whether you like it or not. Yeah. That just seems like
0: wild. It is wild. Yeah. But maybe on the... On, let's say you peel one more layer off from yourself underneath that, you realize there is no self to expose anyway. And then you're like, <laughs> well, there's just nothingness. <laughs> I wouldn't say nothingness, but this, this idea of a self, you know, like yeah. this idea of identity or whatever, it's so temperamental and it's so material and it's so dependent on so many things that if you were to peel it away and be like, Oh, there's no self. There's nothing to be afraid of. There is only what is. Like there's no divide. There's no ba- there's no barriers between anything. So you peel it back and you're like, oh, th- I can just keep peeling and peeling and peeling whenever I find an edge. Like now you found an edge. You're like, I know that if I pull this rug, if mm. I peek through this curtain, there is something else. And and the fear is, what if I just keep peeking and peeking and peeking and it never ends and it's just madness. Well, it's, you peek through and suddenly you realize you're in this fucking wildland
1: Yeah but but I don't I don't think that can possibly be there's always going to be another layer. It's not possible for it to be finite because people aren't finite and time and experience determines that people are not
0: finite, you know. But art is the interplay of a finite being's experiences with the infinite. What the fuck are we talking about? <laughs>
1: Sorry, say again. I don't again. know. I mean, this art, coffee is... Art is the... Is the... What? Is the interplay...
0: Art occurs, should I say. Yeah. Art occurs at the interplay of a finite being... At the intersection. Beings, at the intersection yeah. of a finite being's experience with the infinite. Fucking hell. Which is basically me saying that your art, if you... If you painting, which would be at this point the purest expression of yourself the self being the soul, the soul being immortal. Mm-hmm. So it's you staring at this immortal version of yourself and kind of doing something, whatever feels natural, and then turning it back to people like a mirror. Mm. Like, well, I went to that place. I looked at myself and this is what came out. Yeah, You can't judge it because it's just what happened. Like, mm. for me anyway, I believe that all the greatest pieces of art is when people confront that void in themselves. Mm. Uh, people who can say it's a void, a void and a singularity are like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everything and nothing is the same thing. So mm-hmm. it's like they're equally as maddening, but that's where the greatest art comes from for me. I, where My favorite photographers are, are ones who, I'll, I'll use because I have a fresher knowledge, like Ingmar Bergman. Mm-hmm. The Seventh Seal. Yeah. Probably one of the greatest films of all time. Because as a filmmaker, as an artist, who's been able to peek into that part of themselves, let it drive them wild, Mm. and then come back with with the questions. Yeah. So it's the interplay between me and my mortal self... This body, this flesh, this hair, this receding hairline, (laughs) these crow's feet, like (laughs) all of these sagging and decaying parts of me. Oh
2: God,
1: you really don't give yourself a good name, but carry on.
0: Looking past that into my forever youthful spirit and this childlike uh, impulse to life, to creativity and be like, what are you? Mm. how do i capture you how do i let you speak how do i do all of those things and it's art is the product of that conversation for me Mm. anyway and fucking hell but it's crazy it will send you to crazy places and i'm not saying (laughs) i'm not suggesting it to anybody because it's a fucking heavy load to carry Mm. which you know because which is why you're going i'm a painter but that's for tomorrow yeah that's for when tomorrow comes and it's a heavy load for anybody to carry which is again part of the motivation for this podcast of being like you olivia mm. are capable of carrying it <laughs> you are capable it's, of
1: it's really weird because i feel like i feel like you're pushing me to be better but at the same time critiquing me which i'm finding difficult okay <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad. Like, this is all the stuff that I love and, like, thrive off, essentially, in life. But it's just a really interesting space to be in. Yeah. Because it's a... Essentially, we're, we're not speaking just to each other. We're speaking to be recorded. Yeah. So that someone else might listen. Yeah. And receive. Yeah. And ultimately judge what we're saying. Yeah. Or how our conversation is developing, which is in itself, for me, like a bizarre place to be having all of these feelings and...
0: Yeah, for sure. So I get it. Yeah. It kind of perverts the experience again. It's like having a live therapy session.
1: Yeah. and, And I almost, you know, like there's a part of me that's thinking should I be saying these things because, you know, does it make me sound away or A, B, and C? And, you know, like, does then it make my work seem like what I've done today isn't authentic? And these are the things that are real time now running through my head. Mm. And that is what you are saying is the ultimate experience is to fucking take those and chuck them away.
0: Well, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying abandon your no, life of, th- of course, thus but- far. But I'm also saying that's what's made you so compelling and made you such a comfortable space for other artists. Yeah. So it actually, this is the reason why it's you who's able to do that. Yeah. That's the common ground that I guess that you're seeing with your subjects. Is yeah. That people, I, I I don't know, that's what, I'm I'm projecting too much, I guess, into that. But... um. I've expected to come and have a conversation with a photographer and a filmmaker and actually what you've presented to me and what you've said is, I'm actually neither of those things. Yeah. I'm a painter, but please don't tell anybody. <laughs> Lol. And I'm not drawing... I mean... You've admitted that. I'm not drawing <laughs> that... I haven't manipulated no, you in any no, way. No, you haven't. You and haven't. I'm, and I'm not or lying. Like,
1: or maybe even not a painter, but like I'm an artist, don't tell anyone that.
0: Yeah, but you, what the word you used was painter. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's... Freud would have his own
1: uh, mm-hmm. field
0: day with that. Freud has
1: a fi- Freud would have a field day with like ninety percent of the things that we've said today. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I I hear you.
0: I so hear you, you must want you must you must want this conversation to happen at some point. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. You wouldn't offer that experience, and I wouldn't know about any of this anyway.
2: No,
1: I agree. I agree, and I mean that's that's psychoanalytical one hundred and one. Hmm. What you've just said, you know, is like if you don't say it out loud and i think that that maybe the thing that has been um maybe kind of not unique to me but um something that i know is a specific and i consider to be quite a special trait of mine is that i'm not afraid to be honest with people and i'm not afraid to i'm not afraid to say i'm scared of being an artist and i'm not afraid to say I don't quite feel like I've got there yet. And I think that that is exactly what creates a safe space for the person I'm photographing or documenting to be themselves in because they then realise that you know, I haven't come into it with any sort of arrogance. You know, there's no part of me saying I'm the photographer. This is what we're doing today. You know, I'm like, hi, I'm a person. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sure you don't either, Mary J. Blige. (laughs) What do you, you know, "Hmm, what are we going to do today? You know, and and immediately that person is like, oh, I'm a person. Oh, what would I do as a person? You know, and not as, sceptre or as you know the the kind of Sasha Fierce persona that that people put on themselves especially talent but also any regular human being you know who comes into you know take a portrait session as an example you know even walking through that door is is a you know you're walking into an unknown you're walking into a space where someone's about to kind of like capture a part of you and you know you walk in there I'm sure most people do I know I would thinking right I've designed my face this way today I've put my hair how I wanted it to be and you know my job is to get you to say oh fuck it and you know kind of relax yeah and have the moment when you look the most yourself as opposed to the moment when you are trying to present a version of yourself to other people so what is the most astute thing that you have kind of picked up on of me is that i'm the one behind that camera you know like i've thought a lot about taking self-portraits and what that would mean with
0: my camera you know and that was a question i had in my uh, bank i was waiting to be like have you got an archive of self-portraits
1: i mean you know like i've got the the interesting thing is you know like i've got a fucking massive archive of selfies yeah. And that's something that for me is is flippant, you mm. know, because it's been taken on my phone and, you know, someone like me doesn't think that a phone is is art, you know. Yeah. Although there's another part of me that does, but that's another conversation for another day, you know. So, it's almost like I've not allowed myself to be worthy of my own lens. And it's and there's another part of me, you know, my lab has always said, oh, we've seen all of our photographers naked because they all do naked pictures of themselves and send them into the lab. Right. And there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to be like everyone else. So there's a part of me that reacts against things that are actually, you know, there's a potential for that actually being like a necessary part of the process. And, you know, the fact that other people have gone through that and been through that part of the process you know kind of turning your lens on yourself yeah is interesting in itself and and actually i think what i i'm uh, flying off the seat of my pants here thoughts are just Please coming as do. i'm talking um i'll catch you yeah <laughs> and and what i think is interesting is that even while i'm talking about it i'm thinking about the final image and thinking yeah but why would anyone want to see pictures of me mm. But that isn't the point and it's exactly what I was saying to you earlier about wanting to change not what's in front of the lens but wanting to change who's behind the lens because that is the point. The point is that I have turned the camera on myself and the outcome is no one else will look at it how I look at it and I will look it's just like any picture that you see of yourself or as a photographer, I know this better than anyone. The picture that I love of a person is not always the one that they like of themselves, yeah, because you have a very specific way of critiquing your own photograph, you know, that bit of your nose that you don't like, that you've never liked, yeah, yeah. might be really prominent in this picture, and you can't see the wood for the trees.
0: Yeah, so it's what fits your impression of yourself. Exactly. your idea of yourself.
1: Exactly. And I think that that's like, you know, the idea of self-portraiture, I've always known that that is something that almost, I know it would free me in some way, but the fear of what's going to be in the image at the end supersedes that little, little artist person inside me
0: that's going, do it, do it. Could Do that it. potentially be why your lens falls mostly on men?
1: I don't know. I'd never really considered it in that way. Okay. I think, um, I'm not saying it's not correct. I'm I'm processing what you've said because I think it's quite interesting. Um, I think initially it was more about, you know, as a photographer, you turn your lens on what you find attractive, you know? And I think that, male photographers especially in fashion photography throughout history you know they've kind of been able to turn their lens frequently like look at Helmut Newton really good example yeah on mostly women and nude women and the kind Terry of women Richardson, that he likes you know like exactly. look, any of those exactly guys. um and not be questioned about it
0: but also the male's uh ability for self-reflection yeah is also a bit diminish let's be, yeah. let's be real so that yeah. is almost expectant yeah. like that's so um symptomatic yeah. of of masculinity itself of the yeah. fear of turning of of sitting another man down and being yeah. like well this is at least one half of a mirror yeah. or you know like yeah. so it is it is um symptomatic but I do completely understand
1: yeah no I, and and I think you're I think you're probably very right you know with what you said it's just it's uh, something that I would never even thought of myself Mm. and actually what i've been enjoying about you know like exactly like you said i shoot more and more women each and every day you know and i think what is what i've enjoyed about that experience is there's a certain there's a certain like solidarity there's a certain um trust that is created like woman to woman that is kind of n- not repl- replicated in a situation where I'm photographing a man for example you know it's like a different set of skills come into play a different set of interpersonal skills come into play yeah and when I'm photographing a man i suppose it's it's potentially less about making them feel comfortable and more about making them feel. And with a woman, I feel much more concerned with making them feel comfortable. I don't feel the need as much to challenge them. And I wonder if that actually in it, in its very nature by, you know, the sort of history of who has been you know, big name photographers. I know we've got people like Ellen Von Onworth, you know, but if we sat here now and and thought of the first 10 photographers that came to mind, they'd probably be men Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) or mostly men. And I wonder if actually the very fact, again, that it's a different eye and a different way of seeing is, like I said, with men, I feel that they are challenged with women. I want to make them comfortable. Well, if, men have been shooting for all these years, then maybe they've been challenging the women and making the men feel comfortable. And so that's a direct reverse. You know, I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And and whichever side of the fence I'm sitting on at that particular moment is still an interesting new way of approaching either the same sex or the opposite sex. Mm. And I think especially in my pictures of men, I'm challenging tropes of masculinity. Yeah. And that, oh, I've never been able to articulate this, how I how I feel that I'm about to or have just done. Um, and that is where I'm imposing my femininity onto them in exactly the same way that someone like Helmut Newton... With those beautiful nudes or beautiful empowered images of women, you know, he was actually imposing his attraction, his masculinity, his, you know, mm. on those women. Well,
0: it's interesting because it all with the male-female dichotomy, it's interesting because it feels like it almost always leads back to desire, mm. which is another manifestation of judgment. Yeah. But then in your same-sex sittings it's more about reflection for the sake of reflection. Yeah. Which is really interesting because I, I don't, and I don't know where I'm going with this because I'm just making it up as I'm going, but how do we, or maybe now we're getting more to a point of where it's always about making somebody else feel more comfortable. I don't know. I saw, I saw yeah. a talk of yours where you were like, I wanted to turn my lens on people that I fancied. Yeah. Blokes that I fancied. Yeah. But then actually, as you've just established is that, as you've grown, it's more about actually imposing your femininity onto masculine tropes yeah. and being like, it's okay. Yeah. Be yourself yeah. in all your glory. Yeah. Not be an object of my desire. Yeah. Don't be what I want you to be or what yeah. you think I want you to be. Be you. Yeah. So that's, that's more of a cultural thing, I'm guessing, which is probably tied in with things like um, inclusive sets and representation yeah. and a greater understanding of the spectrum of human experience. Yeah but taking away this um ob- taking away the desire taking away the judgment and just allowing what is to be yeah which is is difficult for any artist for any photographer even as a woman to sit in front of another woman and not see f- what you might wish you were yeah. or all of the things that you could be yeah and just see them for who they are and and i guess that only comes from a place of real happiness or or acceptance of who that photographer is. And the same with a man, you know, yeah. not to look at another man and be um uh challenged or provoked with all of the things that you could be, for ex- Yeah. The, the, uh, I don't know where I'm going with it, but it's this idea of not projecting yourself onto them. Like Richard yeah. Avedon would say, you know, like none of my photos are true because they're all just pictures of me. Yeah. Like and none of them are pictures of them. Yeah. But is there a way? Maybe he was really unsatisfied with who he was as a person. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe he was, he was so happy that that is the truth. Um, yeah, but you know.
1: But you know, I think, I think that they, both of those things can be true. Mm. You know, and I, and I don't think that it's like I've always said. You know, people sometimes ask me about why I shoot, how I shoot with not much tech and not much lighting, and I try and keep it simple and that for me unclutters um, the creative space and then therefore unclutters the sort of expectational space that you are putting your sitter in. Um, But that does not mean that my images are any more truthful than someone who puts a shit ton of kit around deliberately to put their model or their sitter completely out of whack and off balance mm. because that is their truth yeah you know and actually i think what evidence says is is probably the ultimate truth because i can't take a picture of you and not be present to take the picture of you i have to in some way impose myself on you
2: mm.
1: even if it's me making the micro decision to move the camera slightly to the right doesn't matter what expression you're making. I can decide to shoot you from below and make you look taller and stronger. I can decide to come in very close and only focus on your right eye. You know,
0: you're showing what you want to be exactly. shown. Exactly.
1: So you know, like, and and ultimately you can bring that back to, which might be interesting with this whole I'm a painter thing on the other side is photography truthful you know it's been the art form that has taken the longest to be taken seriously and i think i find that i find that frustrating and i also find that frustrating in the context of the world that we live in today where everyone walks around with a with a camera in their pocket photography has never been really respected in the same way that you know painting or sculpture or you know other sort of mediums have been respected and and it's a very new it's a very recent thing that it has
0: you know like could you make an argument for a reason why it wouldn't be
1: um
0: if you were to see their side of the the coin yeah
1: which which I can in many ways you know like a photograph is is one it's what you said earlier you know it's one stop frame it's one captured moment of a scenario if you take sculpture as an example you know that's might not take many weeks but it's you know it's a day's craft working with your hands you know like building and manipulating something and you know with photography it is quite a removed medium in many ways and I think I think that for that reason, there is definitely um, a distinction between what fine art photography and any regular photography is. And I think that perhaps that is the problem, you know, because there's very few people who just do some painting, you know, if you're a painter, you're a painter. Does that make sense? You know, in, in the same way that Nowadays, we've all got a a camera on our phone. So we take photographs all the time, whether or not we're a photographer. And and I would say that there's a lot of people, many more than who are kind of pretending to be a painter or a sculptor because it's a much more difficult uh, sort of process to go through or medium to work with. It's not so available to us. Yeah,
0: it's kind of difficult to pretend.
1: Exactly. So... I do get frustrated by people who I feel are pretending to be photographers, you know, who who aren't necessarily doing it for what I consider to be the right reasons. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think the, the reason that, you know, we have now got photography curators at massive galleries and, you know, it is becoming more accepted is because there there will always be... A group of people or a, a section of photography that is fine art photography, mm. no matter what the sort of um, what the reasons behind it, yeah. and I think that that again comes back to talent, and there is something innate. It's like singing. You know, like, you can teach anyone to sing, but not everyone could be a singer. Mm. There is something X factor, something special, and special, again, is a difficult word, because that's not something I've, I care to attribute to myself. Yeah. But there is something extra that turns something from... A photograph into a fine art photograph, and it's nothing to do with the equipment or the technique or the lighting so or where the is it then? what's present in it's a... the photographer. Okay, it's their way of seeing, you know. Because because I wouldn't, and actually, it goes back to you know when I said it's a conversation for another day because you can have a fine art photographer whose medium is the iPhone. I believe that that is entirely possible. Can't think of an example of one, but you know, that is entirely possible for me, maybe actually something that holds me back in a, in a a sense of the availability of the image is the fact that I am so concerned with an analog process. And that's not to say that it's not right for me to be an analog photographer. That's something that I I know is the truth for me mm. is analog photography. I, I have no interest in it when there is no process of alchemy, when there's no physical object at the end, when I don't have a filing cabinet full of negatives that I will save if my house is burning down, everything else can go. They're coming with me, you know. And for me, that is my truth. I don't know where I'm going with this.
2: Just keep going. (laughs) Keep following it. Just
1: keep going. Keep going with the thread. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, I can understand why photography has not always been considered to be...
0: Do you feel like film, even though it was later than photography, do you feel like film was more respected off the bat than photography was?
1: Film as in moving image?
0: Yeah. Um, uh, I guess as in cinema. Well, not not just film cinema, but yeah, the moving image.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think again, that's that's if you want to look at kind of artistic processes, there is no way to make cinema without many processes being involved. Um, And I think, I think that that is what kind of has it it, again. It almost brings us back to the struggle, you know. Has a photographer struggled enough to get there? one image Mm. you know if all they did was go out with a camera and click a button yeah you know a cinematographer has not a cinematographer a director let's say a director has come up with an idea they've worked with a script writer the script has been given to actors and actresses who have been cast they have then been uh, dressed They've learnt their lines that has then all been brought together under the umbrella of the director who's onboarded a cinematographer. Is who... there a ritual exactly
0: is there a ceremony
1: exactly, and I think that's always been easier to respect because it's you know it's so it's so obvious that that's part of that process. But, you know, I think actually even talking about this now, I wonder if if that for me is why I would feel more authentically an artist if I was painting, you know, I I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive of each other, you know, there's definitely one feeds into the other, you know, that maybe I feel like I'm not an artist because I don't go through those processes because, you know, it it's kind of, for me, one of the, scariest things about that word artist is is saying it if i'm not it Mm. the one thing i never want to be whether it's photography whether it's any other medium is that person who's pretending to be and so i think in a way if i don't say that word and don't attribute it to myself that's almost one of my ways of being an artist you know is not is not wanting to you know because there are ways and ways of saying things and i think i i already said that once you know i think there's a way and a way of saying i'm an artist and one is coming from a place of great confidence and belief in what you're doing and one is coming from a place of arrogance and and um coating a lie almost
0: yeah well, again, it's intention, right? It's, exactly. It's all about, do you want validation? Yeah. Or do you want to be honest? Yeah. Do you want to express yourself? And, yeah. And again, it circles back to the, just saying oh, I'm an artist doesn't mean something good. Yeah. That's a like, no, necessarily. Totally.
1: And I think what's interesting is, you know, like our, our analogy of the metronome and this kind of weird place in the middle, which, you know, I almost through this conversation, I'm understanding more and more that I'm kind of sitting there somewhere at the moment is because I absolutely truthfully want to make honest, authentic work, but I am also concerned with the validation of that work. Now that doesn't mean that I'm lying, that I'm being arrogant about what I'm doing, that I'm pretending to be an artist it's like I haven't reached a point where I've been able to tip the scale the other way. And so maybe my judgment of those people who I consider to not be real photographers who are getting more validation than their artistry, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have that judgment against them because maybe they're just somewhere else on this scale of when they are able to tip themselves out, or or maybe not you know like it's I can't answer that question but it's an interesting one to think about you know in in light of what we've said to each other
0: I don't even remember asking a question so (laughs) I mean
1: I don't think you've asked a single question like (laughs) to be fair this conversation has flowed pretty organically
0: so when we were speaking about uh, the the well it's funny the photographer is always present yeah um to steal a Marino Marina Abramovich. Abramovich. yeah. It's uh, the way that Dali approached it, which was like put the self timer on and then just throw it in the air and it captures whatever it captures. Yeah. This idea of trying to remove the person on the other side of the camera, which again is manifested in the self portrait almost. Yeah. yeah. But you take away the observer yeah. and you just have the observed. Yeah. um, It's interesting how photography is the only medium where that. Kind of can happen. Yeah, you can't have a, a painting without a painter. Yeah, which I guess is the basis of postmodern art. Yeah, right. It's, it's how can I remove myself from this process as much as possible? Yeah, which is where you get the Jackson Pollock. Yeah, which is where you get the Eve Klein. You get all of these people who are just either scattering or covering themselves in paint and jumping on a canvas it's like how can i get out of the way free
2: flow free flow. yeah yeah. how
0: can i get out of the way as much as possible and i don't think that served us really i don't think i don't i think it's been a a good experiment i i think it's come out of trauma almost post-war post-evil hitler you know whatever i think it's um it's it's not come from a positive place but it's given us a good point of reference yeah i don't think it served us and it's trying to Bring us back from absence, but in a loving way, like a loving absence. Like yeah, do you know what I mean. It's yeah, really, I do. I, I know dif- exactly what you mean. Instead of like a how do we clinical absence? Yeah, how do we be there but not be there at the same time?
1: Well, that's that is what I do. Mm. That's you know, and and the answer to that is, you know what? Well, again, it it depends. I'm thinking beyond what I'm saying. Um, it depends what you are photographing or painting or sculpting. But my job, my what I believe is the most important thing about what I do is being present, being lovingly present, being non-judgmentally present, but also not being there at all, not being so present that someone else can't have a visual voice and that's what i was saying about my assistants before you know they're there but they're invisible Mm. because they aren't stepping into that moment with me and who i'm photographing so being present and being not present it's almost like my dichotomy as an artist you know it's you know, like life and personality and humanity is is kind of a game of manipulation. And that's a word that has a really negative connotation to it. But all it
0: means is the ability to mould. Yeah.
1: And it's everything that we do every day. You know, like I try and make a point if I'm buying some milk in the morning to say hello to whoever it is that I'm buying milk from. You know, like that's part of my daily existence is that i would like to think that i am spreading some kindness and warmth and you know personal interaction in situations where sometimes definitely in in a city London or urban environments we certainly forget to do that you know we're so busy doing something else that we forget to go up to the stranger crying on the street and say are you okay you know regardless of what their reaction is going to be they might tell you to fuck off that's fine they might need a hug that's also fine but I'm that person who I'm trying to make sure that as I'm traveling through life I'm Manipulating the situations, you know, and that can be a positive thing as much as it can be a negative thing. I'm not necessarily trying to, trying to do you over. I'm not trying to get one over you when I'm photographing you. But I am manipulating who I am so that you are more comfortable in my presence, mm. you know. And that is how I feel that I'm there but not there. Because me, Olivia Rose, might not necessarily be present. I am internally, and and I suppose essentially we're, I'm going really like... Um, go,
0: go, all the way. Wild, cosmic.
1: But <laughs> cosmic with it. In my house, you know, they like, call
0: it astral realm. Whenever yes. I go there, they're like, oh, he's gone astral. <laughs> astral
1: realm, yes. <laughs> you know, like that Olivia Rose will always be behind my eyeballs. I can't remove her from there. I mean, she is directly inside that brain, you know. But who I'm presenting to you is who I need to be for you to be your truest self. And that, I suppose, is is the art in the photography. That's what I've always, and I've articulated it differently, again, because I've manipulated this conversation for different audiences. But when I'm with someone who is thinking in the astral realm, then I can see it in that way, which is, you know, I I my ability to manipulate me and who I'm presenting to you is my ability to get the picture I need to get from your most authentic self, mm. which is just so complicated. Yeah, because it but goes... But so simple at the same time. Yeah. It's the most simple thing. It is what we all do every single
0: day. Well, hopefully. Well, yeah. No, we do.
1: We can't... You yeah, can't yeah, help yeah, yeah, yeah. it. You Sometimes
0: know? not for the best. And
1: Exactly. Know. Yeah, it can be negative. It can be positive. So
0: in this painting photography dichotomy or conflict or duality or whatever it can be called do you feel like the camera's in the way
1: that's what uh, interestingly it was one of the first things my therapist ever said to me which which has kind of not come up again <clears throat> but occasionally bothers me that she said something about the camera's in the way you know like that's a safe place for me to be is behind the camera hmm.
0: Um, I don't know if I'm saying it in a similar way because I'm imagining the alternative to be you sat behind an easel. It's not uh, the hiding that I'm talking about. It's more the seeing your, yeah. your subject yeah. and allowing that information to pass straight onto a canvas which you have a tactile connection with yeah as opposed to being filtered through and manipulated by the lens yeah instead of by your hand yeah so less of a interesting i I guess the photograph is a way more esoteric representation yeah and also more detached representation even though it's so accurate yeah because it's come through this mechanical eye yeah as opposed for as opposed to your biological hand yeah like as an Direct,
1: yeah, it's very true. Impulse yeah, of the, the brain, the visceral, yeah, exactly. You know, expression.
0: So, is that actually? It's not necessarily about you being a painter, but your desire to feel the experience of somebody else so viscerally.
1: Oh, i just never thought about it. I don't know. I don't know. Yes, I suppose is the answer to that question. Like, yes, there. You know, like there's obviously a reason why. You know, the, I think the interesting thing is that my my dad's a photographer and he's some somebody that... That know, is
0: interesting. Tell me more.
1: <laughs> I have a tumultuous relationship with that guy, Uncle Dad, you know. And, you know, he's a successful photographer. He's taken some amazing pictures and he also has work in the National Portrait Gallery. It's why I've dropped my surname from, you know, Olivia Rose is not my full name. Okay, Rose is my middle name. I dropped my surname because I didn't want any... I didn't want any foot up because of my dad's name. Mm. Um, And I fought photography tooth and nail. I went and did a a foundation degree at Central St. Martins and I wanted to be anything but a photographer, textiles, fine art, anything. And I applied for many different degree courses and was rejected from all of them apart from photography. And it's like my whole journey, all roads have led to photography And I suppose there's, you know, there is an astral realm way of thinking about this, that my fight to get away from photography meant that it was so constantly present in my mind that I have landed in it, you know, which again, I've never even thought about until we sat down here today. But I think also that the interesting thing is that I was... So knocked back by the rejection of all of those other subjects in a way that you take someone like Alexander McQueen who like flunked out and, and mm. said fuck it and went on to be like one of the greatest geniuses in fashion, you know. I could have done that.
0: I mean, but I didn't. Oh, well, not in fashion, but you you have done that.
1: Well, don't be in a with Alexander McQueen. Well, not, it's, it's ridiculous. Not,
0: but you still excel in your
1: Yes, but I excel craft. in I excel in what what essentially i was validated in oh okay you know that was the that was the course that chose me oh, if okay. you want to look at it okay like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know the fine art course the textiles course you know all of these other things that you know i can draw if i sat here and drew you over the two hours that we've been talking it would be a pretty accurate representation in some way of you mm. i can paint i can So I can, you know, that creativity runs through me. It's in my blood. It's in my being. You know, the medium I choose, and I say this a lot, currently is photography. I've never felt in love with photography. That's why when I found directing, and again, I fell into that, literally like stumbled out of one room into another. I felt like I'd come home because finally I got to be a creative, but I didn't have to have the fucking camera anymore. Okay. Because actually the camera's difficult, you know, it's not my most natural, I'm learning so much about myself and it's kind of annoying. (laughs) You know, the the camera is a, a difficult technical piece of equipment in a way that a paint and a paintbrush is not difficult. If that makes sense, like to understand a camera, you have to read a manual or you have to practice it loads. I suppose in that sense, it is the same, you know, like, but if I just gave you a camera and you had zero knowledge of film camera, could you expose any images? I'm not sure. You know, you'd have to know what settings to put things on in a way that if I gave you a paintbrush and some paints, you could paint a painting, whether it was good or bad. I mean, again, that's up to opinion. But... Yeah,
0: but it's all about how the, the question isn't like take a photo. It's it's about how could you accurately accurately represent what it is that you see. Yeah. So to do that with a, f- uh, a camera still takes however many hours to learn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, You, when course. you took your first photo versus you now, the ability to capture what it is that you're seeing. Yeah. Uh, just like if you were to start really going seriously with painting, Tomorrow, in ten years, you'd be like, "Oh, I thought that painting was easy." Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's not. Yeah, but you
1: know, I don't. I don't actually think I'm saying painting's easy. What I'm saying is, you can't, you can't operate a camera without without some some technical knowledge. Okay, okay, okay. And that was the thing that for me, I have no interest in that technical knowledge. Yeah, it's why I've never cared about the studio. Never cared about like fuck flash the light comes from the sun or the lamp or the you know and and that has always been my ethos and I think actually in photography and the way that I've applied that to photography that has is what has made my work feel to others more like art than someone else's photography because I've been I've been utterly stubborn on that because I can't do it any other way yeah because I you know in order to learn how to use studio flash beautifully you have to be interested in technology and that's not one of my interests yeah so that is why on a really literal level i stepped into directing and it was everything i loved about photography interacting with people manipulating people manipulating mm-hmm. myself to manipulate them trust um the delicate game and dance that we play when we're doing those things. But I do not have to give a fuck about the camera anymore. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, is that the be all and end all for me? I don't know. You know, is there another medium that I need to pick up? You know, like over the summer when I was in, I've got a family in Bermuda and I was over there for a friend's wedding And for the first time in many, many years, I took a sketchbook and I took a pencil and I was drawing people and I don't even know what the end of the sentence is, but there was something beautiful about that for me. And they're not drawings that I want to show people. They're not, you know, it, it wasn't done for any reason. It just was and it just happened and... Yeah, maybe I need to to get back to that place a little bit more and maybe that will make me a better photographer
0: ultimately. Well, yeah, I'm guessing it would just make you better at all of your expression, whether it's filmmaking, photography. I found that delving deeper into my art is at the same time delving deeper into myself, which makes me able to communicate better. Yeah conversation is as much of an art form as any of these other crafts. Yeah. So even just being able to express yourself in a conversation is like... Yeah. ...motivation enough to do it for me. But it is interesting, like, what... Obviously, you wouldn't... Because of time, you wouldn't be able to do it for money. But, like, what's stopping you from sitting opposite Georgia Smith with an easel and a thing, you know? Like, But yeah, it's just... It's yeah, really but I mean, I think,
1: I think actually what you just said about conversation, you know, like I'm quite self-aware in terms of what my sort of skills are. And although I might not be comfortable to say I am an artist, I will tell you that I am articulate. Yeah. And I'm totally happy to say that. That's why I like... Articulate. Yeah, I'm um, articulate No, based. articulate.
0: Art. The word art is an articulate. I've I never, never thought about I've that. I've never thought about that either. We need to
1: look that up later because there's definitely <laughs> oh, and, a reason. And
0: art is... Well, art—the the etymology of art is uh, basically just means a skill that has been repeated so much that it's now become an art. So is it's, it's like, it? yeah. But I actually thought some—it was something to do with heart, and it was something to do. It was, that's mm. what I thought. Which then if art is in heart. <laughs> yeah, but I thought I thought it was something to do with heart etymo- etymology-wise. Which then, if you take articulate as being communication and the experience to clearly express from the heart that would be yeah. what articulate or
1: also the the repetitive art of communication yeah, true. you know it is a it's a learned experience yeah, isn't it true. So, but you know like that that is actually you know whether that has come through me being a photographer or whether that has been um, one of the reasons why that is the medium I've chosen I don't know but I do know that for me those two things are completely linked. You know, my ability to to straight off the bat feel comfortable to have any kind of conversation with anyone. Yeah. It's it's one of the joys of my life, you know, is and I don't care who it is. I sit next to someone on the bus and if they're willing to have a good old chat with me, I'll have a good old chat with them about anything. Yeah. You know, I'm like a chatty Uber driver's dream because yeah, yeah. I, I will do that. You I are will a five-star have, rider. Will, five-star <laughs> rider, yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think, uh, I think actually maybe, you know, I wonder if that's part of why I do do, I do do what I do, Mm. you know, because I wonder if I could, or I wonder if it even makes a difference. You know, I'm thinking about sitting there with an easel and, and painting Georgia Smith. And would I then be able to be the same conversationalist? And actually, yeah, I would, wouldn't I? Yeah. But would she be able to respond
0: who knows but it would create an opportunity at least Mm. it's very different
1: but it's interesting because when I think about painting I don't think about painting other people okay I would paint myself and the times that I have painted you know I've got I've got a couple of self-portraits here and there you know like they're kind of hidden away they're not
0: well then that's in okay that's interesting
1: because that's you know when I think about photography, I never think about wanting to photograph myself. I would like to photograph mm. other interesting people. But a painting, I can't imagine painting someone else.
0: That's interesting. Mm.
1: What do you make of that, Mister Psychoanalyst?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just i I didn't know what you visualized when you said you know I'm a painter and I, maybe I'm so fixated on that
1: I'm not a painter I'm an I'm an artist ish but that I'm a was, person who doesn't know what medium she
0: might end up with. yeah I do feel like maybe I've attached too much to it but it is also the the way you described yourself instinctively Yes, yeah. which was interesting and shattered my presuppositions which is probably why I'm holding on to it so yeah much. um but it's it's then in that sense it's that if you only imagine painting yourself and you and you also refer to yourself as a painter or you feel like maybe that's something you need to do, then it's just that the thing you feel you need to do is look at yourself a bit mm. more. Yeah. I think you just need to take a series of self-portraits, to be honest. <laughs> like at this point, okay. at, yeah. at, at, this, at point, this point, you know, it's yeah. like the only well, logical, lose, ne- the only logical <laughs> next step. Yeah. Um, I think I want to finish on the art form itself because mm-hmm. this has been a very personal conversation. Yeah. Um, and for ways of seeing, how do you identify a great photo from just a photo?
1: Um
0: what what is present in a great photo that is not present in a photo?: Emotion, okay, Feeling. Okay. But how do you how does one read that in a photo?
1: Well, it's like saying, how do you read authenticity in a picture? It's not measurable. Um, And for that reason, just like any art, there are differing opinions on what is great and what's not great. I mean, on a basic, um, you know, slightly less emotive level, for me, a great photograph is always about the composition. And it's about what you do with the negative space as much as it's about what you do with the positive space. But a truly great image will make the person viewing it feel something. So that is not to say that the image itself has captured emotion. It's that the person who views it feels something and i suppose that that would be my answer across the board with music with you know with any kind of art form or, or medium and i really believe that when you can feel something from what you're looking at that means it's been created with great integrity and with great authenticity whether it's the sitter that's been authentic or the photographer Either way, somehow that is present in the image.
0: And who, what photographs can you think of that have, this is a twofold question, that you looked at, actually, wait, your dad's photography. Oh, yeah. Could you identify great emotion in that? Yeah. Is that where you learned it? Or was that where you realized, oh, this is a very great vehicle for emotion?
1: Um, no, because I think when, you know, when my dad was around and when his sort of photography was kind of present, you know, there's there's kind of a gap in my life for when his photography was kind of present and and sort of known to me or a point of interest to me. It's come back now. It was there when I was much younger. So, you know, maybe in my in my early life. I understood the importance of photography to him, and that's an emotional connection. So, you know, I'm sure I was in some way influenced by that. Um, But I realised, I think what made me sort of realise my emotional connection to photography... Was actually at university, like you know, when I was like I said, I I didn't want to be a photographer. It was like anything, anything else, anything but, yeah. And when I got onto this fashion photography course, God, not 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 even photography, mate. It was fashion. I was like, oh my god, you know, like nothing could be more pithy and irrelevant to fine art than fashion photography, yeah. you know. So I was like, this is absolutely the fucking pits. <laughs> I tried, to be, I tried to get onto a journalism course. I was like, fuck this art stuff, I'll be a I can also write, you know, like, fuck it, I'll go and be a writer. <laughs> and I actually got a place on this journalism course and it was just as I was going into my second year, a tutor came and changed my entire perspective on photography because he said to me, you're the only one in this class that because you just don't give a fuck about the photography is doing something really authentic. I was taking pictures at the time of all of my gay friends and I was writing uh, my dissertation on being a fag hag. What does it mean to be the woman with all of the gay friends? And I was documenting them on Polaroid because, you know, that was just kind of the medium that I'd picked. It was instant, but it was still film and it was tactile and imperfect and all of the things that I love as an artist. Mm. And... It was him who made me realise that I do have an emotional connection to what I'm doing in a way that a lot of other people on that course didn't. People who I thought were much better than me because they were achieving a much more um, uh, uh, like social, standard, accepted form of photography. And that's why I've always been really stubborn about the way I shoot because if you want something to feel like my photography if your whole mood board is my images then it has to be shot how i shoot cuz i can't make that with 10,000 pounds worth of lights yeah. and you know um what was the second part of the question oh can i can i tell you an image that i think conveys that yeah um What's the best example of this? Well, w- well, when I was talking about it, I was thinking of Diane Arbus and it's the shot of the, there's a little white boy in braces holding a grenade or is it two grenades in his hand? And it's like slightly fish eye. There's like light dappled on the floor. He's got this bizarre expression and he's holding his body in a strange way. And it's just the very simple juxtaposition of what this boy looks like, the innocence of his youth, the violence of of a grenade the fact that he's holding it like a toy you know you cannot look at that image and not feel something have some kind of opinion on what you think it it means or it it is and
0: which of your photos do you feel like you've got closest
1: like um i knew you were going to ask this i literally knew it was coming um I mean, I suppose I should probably go with the one that just kind of instantly came into my mind. Um, the cover shot for um, The Guardian Guide with Skepta that I took, where he's got his eyes closed. And th- there's a m- there was a moment in that shoot when I took that picture that there was some peace that came over him, very brief moment of it, and I feel like when you look at it, you look at a, a strong black man who has had my white femininity expressed upon him. And I don't even mean that in a, in a sort of forced and negative way. There are a lot of people who will think that's negative in itself. But um, he was willing to receive that and be it for me yeah and least... ultimately for himself yeah and that is something that I you know I feel like it really translates in that image it was an image that you know I I sort of keep coming back to but inversely in that same set of pictures there's another image where he very much off his own back did this he was shirtless and he kind of did this thing where he put one hand in front of the other and when you actually look at the image it's it feels almost like a boxing stance but there's no fist. It's a stop, don't, you know. And there was there was a very, I don't know, there was a very powerful like muse and photographer connection between us when we did that shoot. And it evolved over the day that we were shooting. And what I find is interesting is that that is very much him. And the other shot is very much me. And I think you can
0: see that when you look at the two pictures together. Very interesting. I can't wait to look at them side by side now. A last thing, I've got, it's it's an idea I have. Okay. I think I was called to music because one of the most prominent memories of my childhood is coming down the stairs and like peeking through the door and seeing my mum crying, listening to Tupac, Dear Mama.
1: Oh my God, that's so good. Okay, that's what I want to paint.
0: And I was like, I have this idea. So I took it to my best friend and I, and I was like, have you got anything similar? He's an artist as well. I won't tell you what. And he was like, mm. he couldn't think of anything. And I went, when your mum got divorced from your dad, what was the first thing that she did? She was like, he was like, she went out and she bought a Salvador Dali print and hung it up in the, in the lounge where we would all sit and eat dinner. Interesting. What do you think he does now? Painter. He's a painter. Yeah. He draws. That's, his work looks almost, not like Dali, but it could be up on that wall. Yeah. And your dad, the photographer, obviously seeing this alchemy of emotion process. Yeah. And being like, that's, and not even consciously, but subconsciously deep somewhere inside, like a seed is planted of... That's the way in. That's well, the vehicle for emotion.
1: Would well, you know, I think something very interesting about what you've said is there was a, a whole time during my parents' divorce where my dad took back his artwork from the house. And so if you can imagine through a child's eyes, lots of things that used to be hanging on my walls were disappearing. Mm. Almost out of nowhere, it felt to me. And... Part of my process of moving into my house where I live by myself, and I've lived there for two years, has been nesting. And a part of that process has been, my house is like an art gallery. You come to my house, it's my work, someone else's work. It is all curated across my walls. It goes all the way around through to the bedroom. And I wonder if part of my process is replacing those images that I felt in some way were taken from me. So... There's the deep shit.
0: <laughs> I think. Uh...
1: Hope you ain't watching this, Dad.
0: Or if you are, <few> are. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, give me back
1: some of those pictures, man. <laughs> yeah, right? Do you know? Interestingly, like two days ago, and I missed the post today. I asked my dad. He, because um, I've been trying to delve back into my memories. Mm because there's a lot of my childhood that I don't actually remember. Yeah, I've obviously put Likewise. it somewhere. Um, and I've got a memory box in my mum's house, and I'd ask both of my parents, can you dig up anything that you've got? I want to see it. I want to whatever. So my dad started sending me a a series of photographs. And one of the contact sheets was of my little sister who's 10 years younger than me. And the first time I ever held her as a baby. And I want it. Like there's something about that contact sheet, that set of negatives. And I was like, dad, send that to me. So he's put it in registered post and it arrived at my house today, but I didn't get it. It's waiting at the post office for me. So that is interesting that I have literally asked him for some of those negatives back, you know.
0: That is interesting. I don't know what
1: I'm going to do with them, but... I knew that I wanted them and somehow that was rightfully mine. So That's amazing. Mm.
0: It's a it's a little theory I try to hold up with as many people who I feel might be receptive to it as possible. And at the moment it keeps coming up trumps. Yeah. Like it keeps it keeps fitting the pieces keep falling into place. There was something that I um uh Oh it's, yeah, interesting about digging up trying to f- rediscover who you were as a child before yeah. experience took over, before nurture took over, well, before... before
1: you you sought the validation of your audience. Yeah. Cuz that's what a child does not do. Not until you're eight.
0: Is it? Yeah. What about when babies like if the if the parents
1: all about need. It's about survival. It's not about validation. Okay, okay. You know, like, I need to be changed. I need food. Yeah. You know, I need To know I exist. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's not about... You know, kids start manipulating, but they don't have the awareness of the audience, I think. I had this conversation with my therapist again, but I think it's until they're seven or eight. Okay, cool. So, you know, maybe that formative period, you know, before you, and that's, that's when you start to realise what shame is and what, you know, being embarrassed about your work is. So yeah, I suppose in some ways for my work, you know, I'm looking back to a, to a time when that audience didn't even exist in my consciousness, you know, like there was no place for me being embarrassed that someone might not like my painting or my sculpture, you know, it's just... I purely did it because that's what I enjoyed doing.
0: It's a wild question to ask. Who was I before shame? Yeah. It's something that I thought about this weekend. I went to my girlfriend's goddaughter's second birthday party. Yeah. And there was a is a is a boy called Kieran. I think he's two years old. Yeah. And he is the most purest thing I've ever met in my life. Like to the point of where it's scary. Like he's so malleable and yeah. so open and so suggestible, but so honest and pure. Yeah. And
1: I'm probably stubborn in his own way. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah.
0: But then I think the world is going to have its way with you and your parents will turn you into what they think you should be, even yep. if that's a tougher version of yourself. Yeah. Because they're afraid of what your sincerity might lead you to. Yeah. And it's a wild trip for me getting older now with people are having kids and I'm around that to see them and be like, I know you now. Yeah. As a three-year-old kid or two-year-old kid, I've seen what you are. Yeah naturally truthfully and honestly yeah and whatever you turn out to be in the future I will always know that one if you can strip all of that shit back if you can unlearn all of that stuff I will know I know what's under there yeah or at least what was under there then that gets me thinking about myself like who was I naturally you know what kind of child was I yeah And and I'm guessing you're going through this.
1: No, exactly. I mean, your your Kieran is my Kyra. You know, she's she's like. Honestly, the love of my life. I call her my baby, and so do her parents. Yeah. you know. She's... The weird thing
0: is, I barely even know this kid's parents. I've met them like twice or three times. Yeah, but... but
1: you can't you can't predict what's going to affect you or yeah, what's yeah. going to kind of like infiltrate your mind. You know, and and I didn't have any real interest in children whatsoever until she was born, and she has been such a major and important part of my kind of healing process and my process of understanding who I was you know, or not just who I was, but, but what a child is Mm. and, and how people's reactions to a child and impositions upon a child are part of what forms an adult. And I think having her in my life, you know, and, and I'm really close to her now, you know, like by complete accident, I just fell in love with this child, you know? And she's like, I tell people she's my best friend. And sometimes I really mean it because, you know, she just doesn't impose anything on me. Mm. And so I don't feel that I want to do that to her either. You know, I know that she needs boundaries and rules and, you know, she can't tell what's hot and what's not, (laughs) yeah? But I think the most interesting thing I ever learned about children, again... Shit, ruining your ruining your
0: storage container here. Um, Oh, storage! Jesus Christ, give us some credit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The studio of dreams. (laughs) Um, My therapist said to me once that children are born with all of the intelligence they will ever have. They just haven't, and this is true. They just haven't, you know, carved it and formed it and been able to compartmentalize it to understand kind of exactly what is what. Yeah, and that was kind of mind-blowing to me because that's when you realize, you know, people say it all the time, but babies know everything that's going on.
0: Well, they're closest to God.
1: Exactly. They're they're literally reacting to every situation that you put them in and you think that, you know, they might not understand the words you're saying, but in a much more animal way, they know exactly what your tone of voice means.
2: Mm.
1: And that's something that we start to forget or start to react to in an impure way as adults. And, you know, I think her being around in my life and me kind of, you know, wanting to return to, well, what the hell was was my childhood like then? Mm. You know, where have those memories gone? Because I know that I knew what was going on and I know that I've formed memories around those times. You know, that is a part of my process of moving forward, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a bombshell to end on. A <laughs> it's a perfect point of reflection for anybody listening to this because I know it is for myself as well. It's a question that I am asking more frequently. And my mum's gone through some stuff recently where she's found herself like trying to reconnect with her mum more, which has led her to old photo books and stuff. So I'm um, vicariously getting the, the images as well. Yeah. And I'm like, there was no baby pictures of me until like six months ago because life. Um, but then I saw someone, I was like, first of all who is that kid second of all like what do you know what i mean it's like it's so foreign and i don't know that child and i'm trying everything i can to re well not everything i'm not putting as much effort in as maybe i could and i'm not asking the questions that maybe i could maybe they're too painful to ask at the moment but i am becoming aware of the necessity to reconnect with whatever that Whatever energy I possessed in that mm. moment,
1: but I think you know you saying you don't know that child, you do yeah because he's he's i've living forgot, I've forgotten his... that
0: child then I would say, or no, no,
1: but he hasn't forgotten you
0: true, true, yeah. You're making me reflect now. How dare you? Right, that's it. That's the end of, <laughs> that's the end of this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but honestly, thank you so much for coming and chatting Better. to me. Thank you for being open. Um, and thank you for just giving me the truth. Yeah. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Maybe we can come back to this uh, at some point in the future and we'll see... What I was completely wrong about or completely right about.
1: (laughs) Once I'm a famous painter and you could be like, that was all because of me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'll take all the ownership. Amazing. I'm joking, but thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Kane. And that's that. That's that. Lovely. Oh, great. Well, that was an experience. Wasn't it? It's wild what you can end up talking about if you just
2: let it happen.